I am so excited to bring this episode to you guys where we chat with our dear friend, Julianne Walsh, who is a very successful local business owner in Jacksonville and arguably one of the most knowledgeable people that we know when it comes to health. She is certified in oriental medicine acupuncture, biomedicine, and Chinese herbology. Hopefully I'm saying that right. (laughs) She founded her practice called Balanced Healing of Jacksonville way back in 2016, and now she acts as the clinic director and full-time provider there. So she is a hustler. Her major passion is teaching others how to be their own health advocates, and she specializes in mold and, hopefully I'm saying this right, mycotoxin illness, uh, gut imbalance, which is like, I feel like all the rage these days, but she really knows what she's talking about with gut stuff, Uh, mystery illness, injuries, and hormone imbalance. So in this episode, we chat with her about how she got started in her profession and what has led her to have a waiting list of hundreds of people. I believe it's over 400 with all rave Google reviews from her patients talking about how she has changed their lives. So we also get into some interesting topics of the things that she is knowledgeable about, like breast implant illness, mold, um, you know, some suggested supplements and her vetted non-toxic products that she loves. And I just really can't wait for you guys to learn hopefully a lot from this episode, whether you learn something about health or just how she runs her business. Um, There's a lot to learn and be excited about with this episode. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Silva Scoop podcast. Sit back, grab a cup of coffee and get the scoop on everything from fitness to lifestyle to business and more. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Silva Scoop podcast. I'm Savannah. And I'm Alex. And we have on a really exciting guest today. Her name is Julianne Walsh, and she is our friend, and she actually is Trevor's wife. And Trevor is the first guy, first person we interviewed on the Silva Scoop podcast. Was he first or was he second? He was first. He was first. So, this is if you guys remember Trevor, this is Trevor's wife, (laughs) and she is literally just such an inspiration and such a wealth of knowledge as far as just like more um, natural, how do you you want to say this? Integrative health? Yeah. Chinese medicine? Functional medicine. Functional medicine goes. So um, I don't want to butcher her credentials and everything. So I'm going to really just leave this up to you, Julian. (laughs) But please just tell us like, obviously about you, just like your background and your schooling and all Mm -hmm. that and what you do and like what your business is. Yeah. So, um, Professionally, I go by Julianne Avacassi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Julianne Walsh is good, too. Um, I own Balance Healing of Jacksonville, and I've been in private practice for almost seven years now. Um, I'm an acupuncture physician and diplomat of oriental medicine. Um, and my education, I have a master's in traditional Chinese medicine. Um, we have to pass four national board exams and go through clinical 4,000 hours of clinical internships to get uh, our degree. So we have a lot of training. Um, and my focus is traditional Chinese medicine with a heavy emphasis in integrative medicine and functional medicine. Okay. And this is actually something I was just like researching and trying to understand. Are integrative medicine and functional medicine different? Or are they about the same? Are they like I mean, synonyms? they're kind of, yeah, they're kind of in the same pot, <laughs> right? I think people get used to different terminology. Integrative yeah. in my mind is more of like 
where Western meets Eastern. Okay. And then I think functional is more like functional labs. How can we look at Western medicine from like a little bit of a newer approach to things? And that's like that functional side. Okay, cool. That's how I see it in my mind. Cool. I've always been confused. Okay. And then, so traditional Chinese medicine, that's where like the acupuncture and all that comes in, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So maybe just kind of let everyone know, because I know I know, but I don't want to once again butcher all the services, but let everyone know like what you guys offer at Balanced Healing Jacks and all that stuff. Yeah. So so, um, we offer so many things. Yes. Acupuncture (laughs) is um, a small part of the practice, but a very powerful part of the practice. Um, I do lots of functional labs, so being able to look at a deeper um, layer to what's going on with someone's underlying ailments. We do food therapy, which is big in traditional Chinese medicine, so looking at how food impacts certain people. Um, so it's very hyper-individualistic. Um, and then we do thing, I do something called emotion code, body code, which is looking at underlying trauma in the body and helping to release it. Um, those are, I would say, the predominant services in my practice. And then we have an infrared sauna and some other fun things. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Alex, do you have any questions for right off? Um, I mean, I have a lot just because I'm not, I'm not familiar too much with, with anything outside. I mean, I don't even go to the doctor too much. Mm. Like, so I'm not even too familiar with regular Western medicine. I mean, I, I know when I go sometimes what they, what they give me, but I'm like a novice when it comes to (laughs) health. (laughs) <laughs> Anything health related, so I'll be mostly open ears. Okay. Um. So, Alex, do you even know what acupuncture is? Of course, you do. Of course. But like, do you know like the purpose and what? Um, I like, know what that it's supposed, to help? it's supposed. So, yeah, I'll give you my uneducated okay. guess. Let's yeah. hear um, it. A <laughs> bunch of needles in yeah. the skin that uh, hit certain points to relieve um, your. Pressure points or like neural pathways. I'm not sure, but maybe okay, something. I mean, you're onto something there. <laughs> that is my best guess. That's pretty good. I mean, most people are like, oh, needles inserted for pain. So, like, right. you, you were one step better than that. So, that's <laughs> oh, good. good, good. Yeah. Um, so, acupuncture works on a meridian system. Okay. We, meridians are like energy channels or energy highways in the body, essentially. You can kind of visualize that. We have 12 predominant or primary channels in the body, eight extraordinary channels. And then we have like hundreds of what's called ashi points, like points that are not on channels. Okay. Um, and so when we tap into those points or into those channels, we're correcting underlining imbalances. So there are certain points that do certain things. So certain points that will tonify the immune system or the spleen stomach. We have a point that could turn a breached baby or um, help uh, increase your oxytocin if you're in labor. Um, so there's a lot, there's points to regulate the nervous system and for addiction. So it's not just like pain. A lot of people think like, oh, acupuncture is for pain. It helps with like, you know, tension. There's that. That's one very tiny, tiny part. So traditional Chinese medicine within itself is a whole medical system. And I think that people don't really understand that. They think acupuncture is just put needles in people, but it truly is an entire system of medicine. Yeah. Um, which is why our schooling is so intensive. Um, because it's not just needles. So I didn't realize, I, I know a couple of different, um, or a couple of other acupuncturists, and I think one of them recently was like just telling me about how long her schooling was, and I had no idea, and you kind of just briefly touched on it in your intro, but so you did, do like four years of school? Yeah, so a master's program, depending on which TCM school you go to, is three to four years. Wow. Um, mine was three. We didn't do summers. It was literally just three straight years. Wow. Um, 
but there's different, there are two predominant school, like types of schooling. There's traditional Chinese medicine, which is the most classic. And then there's uh, five element, which is, I don't know too much about it. I, it's more of a newer type of spin on TCM and acupuncture. I, the way I think of it is more of a psychological based, but I might be totally wrong. TCM is traditional internal medicine. So like we study internal medicine in my program. That's just what, what we do. Um, so there's a tremendous amount of schooling that goes into that. So you study a lot of similar things to what someone would in med school, like the anatomy and physiology. Yeah, anatomy, part. physiology, pharmaco- like uh, medical terminology, drug interactions. Wow. So there's a lot of the Western. And then we take an entire board on biomedicine. Wow. Um, and we're, to my knowledge, we're the only field that takes a medical board on someone else's industry to make sure, A, that we're picking up on red flags. So if a patient of ours has a medical red flag, we're able to recognize it and refer out mm. and B, to make sure that we're not encroaching on someone else's scope of practice. So um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of studying. <laughs> yeah. I think that people really just at first glance or, you know, like their initial thought about TCM and acupuncture is that it's more like folk medicine or like snake oil salesman. And I still like, I noticed that a lot, especially in like the older generation, like more like my parents' age. I just feel like if I were to talk about that with people in their like 50s and 60s, they'd be like, oh, like that doesn't do anything. I think our generation is more like interested in in Mm. alternative medicine stuff, but yeah, I think I even was skeptical about acupuncture till a couple of years ago. I think a lot of it's like a cultural thing, right? You had, as as medicine evolved over time, um, in some cultures you had like witch doctors and you had leeches and you had like all these different things. That mm-hmm. I don't know what was effective or what wasn't, but uh, over time we kind of convinced ourselves as we became more advanced that only certain things were appropriate. Well, it gets very institutionalized. Yes. Mm-hmm. And once that happens, like there's no room for anything different. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened in this country. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then there's a dogma that ensues. And so everything else is like kind of just looked at as like woo-woo or whatever. I don't think it's just medicine either. I think it's science across the board. Yeah. It, well, like- the funny thing is like I talk to my one of my best friends about this all the time. Um, science is debatable science is you know having constructive thought process science is constantly questioning and lately more so than ever science has become dogma and it's been really a fascinating journey to watch this play out Uh yeah i think with the the pandemic um not to bring it down the pandemic Uh going down a rabbit hole (laughs) it was nice because it allowed everybody to kind of get like a almost like a a check on where we were at, like what most people thought and what, like where our institutions were at with how we looked at medicine, how we looked Mm at, um, you know, people deciding what was best, people doing their own research, like things that you'd think, you know, nobody ever really questioned, but then all of a sudden we realized, oh, it's not quite what we thought it was. I think there was a lot of people coming up out of the woodworks that maybe were kind of quiet before and they were like, whoa, 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 wait, Mm." Yeah. yeah. Like I said, rabbit hole. Very, <laughs> but, <laughs> very interesting to uh, to watch. But Yeah. Um, but I've always thought the same thing too. And, and that is why in the last couple of years with everything that went on, I, I started to watch, not watch, but notice in like conversations with people, even like clients, when we'd bring it up, there'd be the people that were like, oh, trust the science, trust the science. And I'm like, but science is like fluid and it's ever changing. Yeah, there's and no trust in science. Yeah. You have to constantly yeah. look at data and it's always changing. Yeah. And very strange. And, and yeah, I mean, studies are flawed and like, oh, don't even get perfect. me started. started on studies. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, who funded this study? Right. And how was the study done? Well, What's the, the person thing? with the product? They did their own study. Yeah. They're telling us that it's good. What was the, what, what just came out about, um, 
oh my gosh, about like who was funding like registered dietitians, like uh, something or like someone was funding the USDA or like dietitians oh, like books new, or something. I haven't heard of that, but like the new <sighs> something. food pyramid that came out or like whatever that was, not the pyramid, but what just came out recently where it was showing what foods are healthiest, basically. Yeah. Did you see that? Yes. I, it was a couple months ago. Yes, and this might even be what I'm thinking of. I, I feel like what I saw was a little bit more pertaining to registered dietitians, though. Mm. Not, like, that they all are, like... Well, do you ever think about... I, we talked about this on a previous episode. Do you ever think about, like, the Got Milk campaign? Oh, that yeah. That was so strange. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, w- were... Was the... Like, who was getting money from the milk industry? Oh, for... I mean, I think about this stuff all the time. It's these big companies have lobbyists, and those lobbyists go ahead and they convince our government to push out these campaigns. And so mm-hmm. it gets rolled out into schools and then into pediatricians' offices mm-hmm. and then through commercials. Same thing happens with Big Pharma. Big yeah. Pharma and Big Agriculture. Mm-hmm. And that it's just crazy because from all of that, which all stems from, like, money, is now, like, in our little tiny circles, there's moms that are, you know, like, fully believing, like, like it's a, the Bible that, like, mm. we have to give our kids milk. Otherwise, they don't grow strong bones or, like, whatever it is. But for the yeah. milk example, it's very interesting. How, oh, yeah. and But we don't, like, the little, like, common folk don't always realize that, like, the regular people. I mean, I think a lot of us now do, thankfully, because of, like, the internet and social media and yeah. being able to kind of open your eyes and do your own research. But I feel like when we were growing up, our parents were just like, the doctor says you have to have milk every day. And the doctor and says, that goes back to blah, the Western blah. medicine thing. Like back in the, the reason I think our parents' generation and grandparents' generation are a little bit more just trusting in, in whatever they hear from the family doctors, because that used to be all there was. You didn't yeah. have the internet. You couldn't go check, you know, oh, that's so true. resources. That's you, you relied on the one guy who was the doctor in town. And, you know, he told you, what he thought. And, and yeah. that, actually, this is a good segue into what I know you and I, Julian, were talking about something you're really passionate about, which is, like, advocating for your health oh, yeah, and all of that. Oh, yeah, for sure. So if you want to, we can just, I feel like this is a good segue. Because <laughs> I totally, as much as I respect, you know, the doctor I go to and everything, I, as an adult, have learned that they don't know everything. They can't possibly. Mm-hmm. They, they're just one person. They can't literally know everything about the body. And yeah. we're so complex. And there's been too many times already that I or some a loved one of mine has gotten like burned, right, by the whatever they prescribed or yeah. did prescribe or whatever they didn't look into more. So I feel like I'm so passionate about that as well, like advocating for yourself mm-hmm. when you go to the doctor and being like, like, no, let's look into that more or whatever yeah. it is. So what are your thoughts on that? So I think being your own advocate has to happen. Like, it's not even a question. It has to happen. And it's something that you have to teach your parents how to do because, like, they don't really question anything. Yeah. They're just like, oh, the doctor said this, whatever. <laughs> um, but whether it's, you know, whether you're seeing an MD or you're seeing someone like me, someone functional or, you know, integrative, no matter who you're seeing, you still need to do your own work and you still need to make sure that, like, your best interests are at heart because the reality is, Say you're going to your regular GP. They're seeing, what, maybe 25, 35, 40 patients a day. They have 8, 12 minutes with you. How can they really be getting, you know, the full true story of what's going on with you? They're Mm -hmm. like, hey, why are you in today? Okay, got it, got it done. Here we go. Here's the blood work and here's the script. Mm -hmm. Um, If you see someone functional or integrative, like at my practice, I spend 90 minutes with a new patient. I can get a really solid idea. But, like, we're all, we're all fallible, right? Like I don't know everything. Your Mm -hmm. GP doesn't know everything. And so you really do need to do research and you need to feel comfortable and you need to feel 
like you're being heard and understood. And if your doctor does not hear you or, you know, if, if they're telling you something that really doesn't sit well with you, you need to go get a second opinion. Like mm-hmm. their word is not God. Mm-hmm. There's a million other amazing providers out there. Um, and you really got to just kind of question and ask and be involved. And you also need to be looking at your own blood work. Like how many times do I see this where someone's like, yeah, I just got blood work. My GP said it was fine. I'm like, well, what's fine? Like, let me see your blood work you just got. Let me see your blood work from 10 months ago and let's compare it. And if you're starting to trend in one way or another, but you're still within range, yeah, it's not flagged. But to me, like in my mind, I'm like, oh, we kind of got a little problem here if we're trending in one way. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the next time you get blood work, you're going to be out of range. And then it's like, oh, now there's a problem? No, there was a problem 10 months ago. We just let it get out of hand. And then we're like going to swoop in and fix the problem. Let's just fix it before it happens. That's my perspective on it. I love that. And just as I know, you know, um, the part about optimal range versus just like in Mm, range, right? What's optimal versus what's healthy or normal and how that is so different from person to person. But I know when I started to find out like your optimal, um, was it TSH levels, right? Like optimal levels for fertility. It's like a certain, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. it's like one, it's like one point or something. Yeah. So optimal is going to be very specific and optimal is based on like the healthiest population, right? Whereas a general blood range is a bell curve based on the general population and like our population is not the healthiest. So (laughs) we want to base them off of optimal levels. Um, But oftentimes I'll like B12 is one of the things that I always have my patients check. It's such a easy thing to miss and so many symptoms can be explained by B12 deficiency. And so they'll always tell me, oh, it's normal. And then I'm like, well, what's normal? And then they'll tell me. And I'm like, yeah, so that's like technically normal. But to me, that's like an awful B12 level. Interesting. So we got to address that. It's yeah. just like the testosterone I thing was, I always bring up. Like, I was wondering if you were going to bring that up. Then. <laughs> like the normal range is it's nanograms per deciliter. And mm-hmm. it's like 250 to 1200. Mm. But that it's within that range, range is anybody from like, 15 years old to 75. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, if I'm a 75-year-old man, my my number is probably not going to be high. Mm. But it's not life-threatening, right? It's not terrible. Yeah. But if I'm 25 and I'm active and I'm healthy and I'm at 250, is that okay? Yeah, it's like, you but know, you're still in range. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's a little bit of a problem. Mm-hmm. A big problem. Yeah. yeah. And... Like the things that we know doctors want to prescribe to someone who's young and healthy just because they have like a lower testosterone <laughs> level, it, like Viagra to a 25-year-old. Yeah, that happened to me. I was 22. <laughs> oh, really? 22. 22. I went oh, to wow. the doctor. I'm like, I, I don't have libido. I like I don't feel like I usually do. I'm very active. I work out every day. Like I, you know, this is just out of nowhere. I don't feel right. Yeah. I'm emotional all of a sudden. Like something feels off. And I feel like it's hormonal, right? Mm. And uh, he goes, well, uh, this guy was like 75 himself. He's like, well. It's like, it works for me. (laughs) He goes, goes, well, we all reach that point eventually. So what I'll do is I'll prescribe, (laughs) you know, some Viagra. Um, and I'm like, can we take my blood work, please? Like, that's oh wow, that's shocking. Yeah, yeah. shocking. So I, I didn't go to him again. Uh, yeah, but. good call on that. <laughs> good call. I, he tells me this like later, and I'm like, "You didn't get Viagra, did you?" He's like, "No." I'm like, "Oh my wow. gosh, I would have been so mad." <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. I, I, I've even had those kind of experiences though with like. Like, not just doctors, like, dentists. Like, anything where, like, if I don't do my research ahead of time and I just go in and I just, you know, let them do whatever their quick little thing is they're going to do, I usually end up being told I need, like, six 
fillings if it's the dentist, right? Or like being told I need to like get on uh, whatever anti-anxiety medication is. I don't even know. But mm. right, you know what I'm saying? Like if I sit there and I do my own research first and then I go in kind of knowing a little bit about what I want to ask for, yeah. I find that that leads to a more productive relationship with oh, my for sure. doctor. Because then you guys are a little bit more equals. And, and I really do love the idea of being an equal with your provider. Yeah. Um, and then you can like really kind of have this shared conversation, not like this, woe is me, like fix me. And yes. You, you are empowered by your education. Yeah. Um, and you can have a really solid conversation from there. And I do want to just say there are so many phenomenal providers out there. Yeah. Like I've got some really good MDs that I adore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, there's always a couple like rotten eggs that like give the industry a toxic name, but there's some amazing ones and they're starting to open their eyes and look towards more functional because it's not their training. Yeah. Um, you know, their training is very much formula based. You have XYZ symptoms, your lap fork reflects the symptoms. The result is this medication. Mm -hmm. It is very formula based. You know, like I was telling Savannah earlier, my best friend is a doctor and when she was in med school, like, she's like, I understand why, like, they have the stigma that they do because we're not taught critical thought in school. We don't have time for it. We're taught formulas. Right. Um, and so then when you have a challenging case, it's kind of like, I don't really know what to do because I haven't been in a position where I could offer a critical thought before. Mm-hmm. So now I'm like, those challenging cases kind of get, they kind of end up falling through the cracks. And yeah. it's not at the fault of the doctor. Um, but those people end up seeking out alternative. And anyway, all this to say, there's some really amazing MDs out there. Um, we're just happening to talk about the ones that are. Yeah, yeah. of course. I, I think uh, it just seems like it can be dangerous when, you know, people get accustomed to having issues, right? And so then they go to the, they go to the doctor and they ask for a solution. The solution seems to, to be more often than not a prescription of some sort. It's the formula. Which is a... It's what the patient wants, right? They want a, it's a solution. Easy, it's fast. Yeah. And it's what the, it's sometimes it's, the it's efficient, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We got you a solution. Goodbye. And then what it does is it kind of conditions people to not really think about or be concerned about what should I be doing every day yeah. to 100%. work on myself because they think it's fixed and they, they also think it's 100%. Now, some things, yes, like diabetes, right? You need, you need to check, you need in, insulin, that kind of thing infections antibiotics i get it some things though i don't think that applies Mm. and yet we've kind of got off the rails a little bit yeah like gi is my favorite um one of my favorite subjects and that falls into what you're saying like oftentimes it's like well we can give you this med or up like we can just kind of you know manage Mm -hmm. your symptoms but it's like gi is one of those things that is just never looked at from Mm -hmm. a dietary lifestyle perspective that really needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get amazing results with GI in my office. Really? Like, I'm it is coming my favorite in. thing. Oh, are you a GI person? Oh my gosh. I've, I've had GI issues my whole oh no. life. I remember taking acidophilus when I was like five because I wanted ice really? cream. So I love ice cream and I want it so bad, but it started to hurt my stomach, you know? Oh my and my gosh. mom had well, her best friend, it was my best friend's mom, her. So her mom was like really crunchy, like, but which was kind of like rare. Yeah. So she, like she made her own bread. She homeschooled her kid and they shopped at a local health food store. So she kind of got my mom into it. And so I was super into it when I was young. I was like, we're going to the health, health food store today. Oh, like do we get organic mac and cheese. But we found acidophilus there, which helps me digest milk or whatever. Wow. Look and, at you. And I was like the weird kid at school that was like taking her acidophilus <laughs> before eating and like, like saying I wanted organic food and all that. 
that. But yeah, I, I think, love that. I think GI stuff is super. I feel like it's just easy to get the diagnosis of IBS. Oh, for sure. I think I got that at one point. They're like, you probably have IBS. I'm like, so what does that mean? Yeah. So <laughs> what that's do I do? The thing, like, what is IBS? It's a cluster of symptoms. Yeah. And that's what do I do is. with it? Mm-hmm. Nothing. So yeah, I mean, I have so many patients that come to me and they went through the entire ringer, every lab, endoscopies, colonoscopies. And it's like nothing. And then after five, six, seven years, they're like, I don't know what else to do. I end up at your door because like, who else am I going right. to go to? I'm always the last resort because, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's different for people. It's woo-woo. It's weird. They're just not as, it's not as mainstream. And so yeah. they're like, well, this is kind of my last shot of things. So yeah. like, might as well try it everyone else. And then I'll put them on a protocol or I'll run a functional lab, like a comprehensive stool analysis, which of course they've never done before mm-hmm. at a GI center. Um, and I'm like, oh, problem solved. We found the problem. Isn't that And wild? it's incredible watching these people get so much better so quickly. Do, is it like most times with, let's just keep it on the GI subject. So most times when someone has a GI situation they're dealing with, is it like a big like elimination diet? Like, is there like a lot of overhaul to their really life? I don't do that. Okay. No, I don't really do elimination diets. Um, We'll run a comprehensive stool analysis and just based on those results, determine a plan. So if it's like, um, uh, a, an overgrowth of yeast, that alone can cause bloating, gas, acid, loose stools, mucousy stools, um, brain fog, lethargy, fatigue, mm-hmm. like all of those symptoms. Um, and so then we just kill off the yeast, restore the gut, call it a day. Sounds Problem nice. solved. And so like these cases are, they, you know, it takes time. Healing doesn't happen overnight. Um, but I'm like, oh, well, at least we found something. We found an, a healing opportunity yeah. here. Or if it's a dysbiotic um, bacteria or something like that, a bacteria that shouldn't be there, we kill it off and then we heal it. And um, we get amazing results with it. And acupuncture is a part of those specific treatment plans, but a lot of oral supplementation, basically. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So like most of the people that come to you, are you like suggesting that maybe they should also get acupuncture or is that not like? Not everyone. Okay. Um, you know, I think if you want acupuncture, acupuncture is one of those things that's going to benefit everyone. Mm-hmm. But I don't think everyone that walks through my door, I don't think their priority is acupuncture. It just depends on an individualistic case. So like if, for example, I don't know if they have like mold illness, their priority, where I want them to spend their money is not on acupuncture. Mm-hmm. That's not the thing that's going to make them better. Mm-hmm. So like I'm very cognizant of, I understand that this is out of pocket. People, by the time they come to me, they've already burned through all of their money mm-hmm. with everyone else. So I'm not going to be like, oh, here's like a $10 billion treatment <laughs> plan to do it all. It's, I'm really like mindful of what is the thing that we need to do? How can we prioritize this in the best way possible for you and your family? Um, and if it's mold, it's like we need to do a, a mold test to confirm that it's mold. We need to find the mold in your home. We need to remediate it. And then we need to get you on a protocol to get this mold out of your body. So would acupuncture be supportive with your nervous system with mold? Yeah, but most people don't have the resources, at least most people I see don't have the resources to do all of those things and then acupuncture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like in the perfect world, I think everyone should get acupuncture, but, um, you know, reality. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. And I think like we all appreciate that, right. That the, you're not being told you do this, 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 and this, and this, and you have to pay for this and acupuncture. Yeah. That's however much on top of all that. I think that is from the people I've talked to, that is what deters them from coming to someone like you is the cost, the out-of-pocket oh, cost. Oh, for sure. The cost is expensive. And that it, But it frustrates me. And tr- you know I understand everything about a budget and the cost yeah, and I all get that. it. But it still frustrates me when, like, 
that means they're never going to go to someone like you. Like even, even though they're suffering, you know, for years and yeah. years and years, you it's know, it's really sad because I feel like in, the insurance companies are only really good for managing like crisis care. Like insurance is there when you have an emergency yeah. it's and it's great. also, yeah, for emergencies, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. And it's also good for, you know, annual labs, your annual visit mm-hmm. checkups, but for chronic care, for sick care, it's not good. Mm-hmm. And so then you end up having to pay out of pocket and most people can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And it's a big, big problem in this country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It bums me out. I wish there was like a way where you and like people like you and people like MDs could have like a symbiotic relationship and everyone could like, like they could refer out to you. I and- don't think it's, <laughs> I don't think it's us and the MDs. I think we need an insurance care reform. Yeah. Because yeah. I have MDs that refer to me and I oh, refer great. to them, mm-hmm. but it's like, They know. They know that there's limitations. They'll text me or call me and be like, listen, I'm sending you this person. We have a major budget issue, but this person needs this lab. Mm -hmm. I can't order the lab. You can order the lab. I need you to order this lab. So it's like, okay, well, I mean, the reality is that they're strapped for cash and we need insurance reform to cover these types of modalities. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other combo insurance reform. I, I I feel like, let's say, like people are working, right? It's coming out of their paychecks in most cases. For, what insurance? For decent insurance, mm-hmm. and you don't realize That's just generous, how decent insurance. <laughs> you don't realize just how much money does come out over a course of let's say ten years, where you're yeah. working full time, you're making pretty good money, and let's assume the insurance company's investing that money, right? It's mm. probably what they're doing. They're investing in safe, secure investments, but yeah, it's earning a certain it. amount. And what if you just did that, right? Like essentially, like an investment account of your own, but it's specifically for healthcare, and they have mm-hmm. those. But there's rules on those too. What HSAs? Yeah, yeah. It, you know it has to meet certain criteria to be considered. Yeah. So my husband and I, we had this conversation when we got married because our health insurance was astronomical. I mean, I was paying like I think six hundred dollars a month for me. He was wow. paying three hundred dollars a month for him, and wow. they weren't covering like anything. Yeah. I mean, it was awful. And so we ended up switching over to a health share, um, which is an alternative form of insurance. I don't know if you guys are familiar with health shares. It was, is it the like ministry one? There's Christian health yeah. shares. There's non-religious health shares. Okay. But essentially you pay into this group and it kind of is treated like insurance, but the rates are much, much more reduced. Um, like for ours, for my family, for me and Trevor combined, it's like four fifty nine for both of us a month. Okay. Um, and we get 12 doctor's visits each covered completely. We get, um, some PT, some Cairo. So it's like, why am I paying so much more for crap care with mm-hmm. a, a traditional insurance company, not being able to go where I want mm-hmm. the, this insurance health share company will pay whichever doctor I want to go to. It doesn't matter. They don't care. It's not like in network, out of network, whatever GP you want to go to, whatever labs you need, we're not going to tell you, no, you don't need that lab, which insurance companies will tell you. They'll say, no, you uh-huh. don't need that lab. We're not paying for it. Who are you to say? You're not a doctor. You don't have a medical, do- like, mm-hmm. who are you to say? So these companies don't don't restrict care. Interesting. Um, so we felt more comfortable doing that. You know, there are downsides. Like, for example, if one of us ended up in the hospital, there's only a million dollar cap, and a million dollars goes fast. If you're mm-hmm. in a catastrophe, a million dollars goes very quickly. True. So, like, at some point, we'll probably add on a traditional catastrophic plan where it's like dirt cheap monthly, high deductible, but God mm-hmm. forbid we need it, it's there. Um, 
but yeah, we, yeah, it's, it's an, it's another option that you can look into. I have heard, I've heard good things about it. I think it freaks me out a little bit because isn't it kind of like you're submitting the bill to them and then they have to decide. And then they have to pay it. Like so if they're going to pay it. <laughs> you can have your doctor submit. Okay. Um, I always just do it myself and then. I like submit the super bill, but I've never once not been covered. That's like, amazing. Every time I submit it, they approve it and I get I get our check in the mail. Yeah. I know I've heard amazing things, especially for people like you and Trevor who work for yourselves, right? Yeah, exactly. Because it's, really it's nice. very hard to find good quality insurance. Like it is. If you're working at a big corporation, the insurance is cheap. It's usually very good insurance. When you're working for yourself, you're in the marketplace and you're paying tons mm-hmm. of money for the worst care. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was bad. Yeah, I, it's crazy how that happens. But yeah. I, that is definitely something to look into. So if anyone listening is looking. I, I like that they cover more, too. Like, more labs. Yeah. More so open to it. You can go to healthsharesofamerica.com okay. or, I don't know, Google Health Shares of America. Um, and there's, like, 15 predominant ones in the country that are really highly rated. And then you can get on with a consultant for free and tell them your needs. And they can, like, pair you with the one that's going to be best. Like, oh, I'm really only interested in a catastrophic plan or I'm only interested in XYZ or whatever. And they'll pair you with one that is going to be a best, the best fit for you. Okay. What are your thoughts on, we were talking about this recently, I think. Uh, what are your thoughts on mindset, like health mindset? Thinking, right, there's, there's a hypochondriac. Mm. And like if they He if likes to talk about me when I'm right if, <laughs> if they're constantly thinking bad things, right, or mm-hmm. they could have something wrong, um, do you think that that can contribute to like a manifestation of ailments, you know, eventually popping up? Or do you think it's really relevant? And so I think there's a reason why people are the way that they are. And I don't think it's as simple to be like, think better thoughts because you obsessively worrying about your health is going to make you sick. I think it's more of like, why are you constantly worried? Do you have trauma around health? Do you have an experience that has been ingrained and like now your neuropathways are just trained mm. to go there? Do you have nutritional deficiencies that make you anxious or you fixate? Mm. Um, I don't believe that things just happen. I don't believe people just are. Um, and I think that's a big difference between a Western medicine mindset and an integrated functional medicine mindset. I don't believe you just have anxiety. Um, you know, I had anxiety my entire life, debilitating anxiety. And I, throughout my whole life, doctors put me on Lexapro, Zoloft, Prozac, Buspar, you name it, I've been on it. Um, none of them work for me because I'm hypersensitive to meds. Like I'll be on it for a few weeks, feel like the best I've ever felt. And then there's a switch and all of a sudden I feel like wanting to kill myself. Like it gets really bad. And they're like, yeah, we don't really know why that happens, but it's a common side effect. So we'll just take you off and switch you. Oh my gosh. So then, you know, I got into the realm that I'm in and I'm like, oh, there's like supplements that I'm deficient in. So I started taking those supplements and I don't have anxiety anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hmm, interesting. So when people have fixated thoughts or fears or obsessions around health, like a hypochondriac, <laughs> my first thought is like, what is going on to allow for that mental space to mm-hmm. occur? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I like that. That's a very good like realistic point of view. I was, I think we were talking about this because I heard on a podcast about manifestation yeah. and he was saying like, you can, he's like, I know people that manifest their own health and they're obsessed with their health. Like in the, in a sense of like, they think they're always dying and they, you know, always think they're going to be sick and then they always are sick. And, and yeah, I, was I like, mean, there is truth to that. Yeah. Like, the more you fixate on something, the more you're going to generate that. I do firmly believe that like mm-hmm. I, I actually think that's been validated by science i don't think it's like manifestations of belief or not like it's been validated by science yeah um 
But I think my question's always one step further back. And mm-hmm. that's my stance in medicine. It's not like, like, why is this? It's, or it's not like I have this, therefore X, Y, Z. It's like, but why do you have it? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you a hypochondriac? Mm-hmm. So you mentioned something about trauma and that reminded me, I want to ask you more about emotion code and body code. Cause I know you do yeah. those. So, um, what exactly is that? What are you doing to the patient? Like, and what does it work on? Yeah. So emotion code is a modality used to address trapped emotions, basically unresolved trauma. And so the best way you can kind of think about it is when we have little kids and they feel something, everyone knows it. They're having a tantrum. They're on the floor. They're like running around like crazy people. And they're like having a physical expression of their emotion. Um, But we get to a certain age where we're like, that's not really appropriate anymore. We're in public. You need to turn that down. You need to just stuff it in because you have a job to do. Mm -hmm. Like, so we start not being able to process our emotions and we just literally don't deal with them because we're too busy. We have things to do. We have responsibilities. We can't act like a crazy person in public. Um, And so we call that a trapped emotion. It's an emotion that's not processed. When you look at animals, when they're stressed, they're panting, they're pacing, they're walking in circles. Emotions have physical manifestations and that's normal. That's a normal part of our experience here on this planet, whether you're an animal or a human. And so when you don't process them physically, you trap them in the tissue. When you have enough trapped emotions, they're going to eventually lead to mental or emotional distress or physical distress, like pain or GI upset or constant fear and worry or, you know, X, Y, Z. Interesting. So I actually just found um, some random Instagram lady, but I found what she was, what her like whole premise is. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. She has a not that a big following means anything, but she's had so many rave reviews in addition to this big following. It seems like a lot of people have, you know, tried what she what she's like, quote unquote, selling and it's worked for them. So it's about, and I've heard this a lot with yoga, how you trap a lot of emotions and trauma in your hips, right? Mm-hmm. Especially as women. Yeah, and, I, and I've experienced in yoga before having a full on emotional release when I was doing yeah, half just pigeon. starting to cry. Yep. You have no idea like, why. Why am I crying? Half yep. pigeon is uncomfortable, but like has nothing to do yep. with that. Um, so I definitely like, now that I've had that experience, I'm like, oh, that's definitely, oh, it makes sense. Like definitely a thing. And like most of my clients like have the tightest hips ever. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think especially with women, it's a thing. Um, but so this lady on Instagram, her whole thing is like, she sells basically like mobility programs to loosen up your hips, loosen up other Mm -hmm. parts of your body. And her thing is about like, we can heal trauma kind of like through through movement. that. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. through movement, through releasing the trapped emotions in your hips sort of a yeah. thing. And people are swearing up and down that like it works. Yeah. So is that kind of like what exactly, like when you, someone's hiring you for emotion code or body code, like what are you doing with yeah. them? So we use muscle testing um, where okay. we are checking in with the body to see what trapped emotion is stored where. And then we see if it's safe to release. We release it with a magnet. This is like really woo-woo, so stick with me. I love it. Um, We release it with a magnet. Magnets attract energy. And when we do that, it brings the emotion to the surface of the body. So it's not like I roll the magnet down your spine and the emotion flies out and it's gone. It just brings it to the surface of the body. And then it basically tells your body like, hey, over the next few days, you're going to be breaking up this emotion and it's safe to do that. Because we muscle tested it and it was safe to release. Um, and during that processing time, you're going to feel more emotional. You're going to feel more tired and then it's going to be gone. Um, and people will literally email me or text me or call me and be like, I like, I can't believe it. Like I had this mental breakdown after we did emotion code <laughs> the next day I had this clarity. Like I never felt my life and like a weight lifted off my shoulders. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. And this is, is this something that's like a compliment to therapy? Is this just totally separate? Like what are your thoughts with that? 
to talk therapy? Like, yes. Like, is this just, could this work instead of talk therapy? So I have, I have a lot of thoughts on talk therapy. Um, talk therapy has a very important place. And for me, from what I see clinically, talk therapy is really important at recognizing trauma. Some people don't realize that they have had traumatic situations happen to them. So it helps you recognize trauma and it helps you understand your triggers and it helps you with coping mechanisms. Besides from that though, I think like that's the limitation. Um, EMDR, that's like a different story, but like traditional talk therapy is really about like recognizing and coping. But if you have already recognized, you know, your triggers and you're learning coping mechanisms and you just keep going to therapy and keep talking about the same thing that happened every single week, you could be re-traumatizing yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not a fan of that aspect of it. And instead you have to be in a safe place to release trauma. Like by talking about trauma over and over and over and over, you're not releasing trauma. You're just ingraining those neuropathways deeper and deeper. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. You, you bring up a good point. I feel like, because I I don't go to therapy and I never really Never. Wow. And it's perfect. It must be nice. Well, well shout out to my therapist, I love you. <laughs> and, and I've always I've always thought like, you know, I couldn't I couldn't understand it. Um, but that makes sense. If somebody you know has a difficult time like identifying what could be a cause of tra- yeah. a, a source of trauma. Like why am I the way that I am? Mm-hmm. If they don't have like a certain like I have a my inner dialogue is too intense. So I feel Trevor like Trevor tells me. I feel like I identify things with myself. Like I don't need to talk to somebody because I'm ta- I'm like He's like, I talk to myself on my own. I'm a million yeah, I'm a million miles an hour in my head. And um so I feel like, you know, maybe if I were to talk to somebody else, I could just express what I'm telling myself anyways. <laughs> I but, think you're a unique case. Yeah, yes. right. And, yeah, and that's what that. I'm I'm kind of realizing. Like you know, it's maybe, maybe I don't, I wouldn't benefit as much from it, but it doesn't, now I can understand a little bit better why, yeah. you know, other people, they need to identify it and maybe they, they need to have some discourse to do that. For sure. So when I went to therapy, I was like, why am I the way that I am? Let's hash this out. Like yeah. in therapy, Right. And we like went back to my child, like always goes back to childhood, right? Which sounds so bogus, but <laughs> I like put, she put pieces together for me and I like had this epiphany and I was like, oh my God, these are trigger traumas. Mm -hmm. Like I am the way that I am because of this one situation, because of this one Mm -hmm. thing that was really traumatizing that I didn't think was traumatizing because it was my life and you don't have perspective outside of your life. That was just all I knew. So, but now that I figure that out, like I don't need to keep talking about it. Right. That's going to constantly re-trigger me. Right. So I have to now do other things. And emotion code is one of those other things. Um, Healing through movement, like what you're what your um, Instagram person mentioned. <laughs> That's another thing. Um, Dr. G does, um, what is his, is it neuro-release therapy? You know is Dr. That, G. Yes. I love him so much. I He's on Instagram. You, should, you guys should find him. But um, And that is his Instagram, isn't it? Or it's like uh, something like that. He has a that. podcast called Heal Thyself, but then his yeah. personal Instagram, I think, is Dr. G. Yeah. Um, but he he is a naturopathic doctor specialized in oncology, got out of the industry, now just teaches and became like a neuroemotional release type practitioner and only does that in education because he found that to be more beneficial to the community than just being another person to do labs and prescribe meds and whatever. So actually I don't know if he prescribed, but that's, you know. Yeah. But so he does more similar like body work then, right? If it's neuro, you say neuromuscular? 
I know there's a physical aspect to okay. it. I don't know. I, I'm one day going to do one of his workshops because I feel Ooh, like yeah. I've got all the trauma. I want to release it in all the <laughs> ways that I can. So have you done EMDR? I haven't. Okay. Um, with, like, my TBIs, I'm not doing any rapid eye movement. Okay, which, can you explain what, I didn't so know what a TBI was. I have had several traumatic brain injuries in the past, and certain things can, like, trigger me, and, like, rapid eye movement would be one of those. Yes, that makes um, complete sense. Yeah, so we're not going to do that, <laughs> but all the other, you know, therapies for trauma release, I'm, like, I'm down to try. Yeah. Except have, anything hallucinogenic, that's where I draw my line. I am with you on that. Um, <laughs> have, so have you had anyone do body code or emotion code to you? Oh, I do it to me all the time. You can do it to yourself? Mm-hmm. <gasps> yeah, I mean, it's cool. always better to have someone else do it because then you could be objective. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, I do it, like, on the weekly. Really? Mm-hmm. I wish I, I was married to you. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? My husband doesn't take advantage of any of this. And I tell him all the time, like, do you know how much people would pay That's for a, this? Like, like, I need to be Julian's wife. Yeah, it's how incredible. Do do <laughs> what's, his, uh, what's his reasoning for... He's just a baby. He's a baby. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Like, his B12 is low. And I'm like, oh you're gosh. getting B12 injections. And he, he, like, hates them. And he cries about it. And he's like, it hurts. I'm like, it's an insulin needle. It doesn't hurt. Oh, my God. But now he's gotten, he feels so good on them that he'll text me and be like, I think I need another B12 shot. And he's I'm like, like hook okay, it up, dog. Yeah, That's bring so me funny. home one. That's hilarious. So he wasn't ever like can we run all these labs on me and you tell me what's wrong well, with me? Well, when I met him, he was, like, super sick. You probably know this because you lived with him. Mm-hmm. But that might be all you knew because you didn't know him, like, any other time. He's just been sick a lot. I don't know. Anyhow. I don't remember him being sick. Um, but, yeah, I don't remember. Like, that was just normal Trevor. I, like I don't think he was. I don't think, we, I don't think we spoke too much about that. Yeah. You know? Um, so he came when he met you. So he when was he sick. met me, he was like, I like my definition of sick is not someone else's definition of sick, right? Because I see a lot in my ideal of health is optimal. Mm-hmm. So when someone's suboptimal, I'm like, oh, what's going on? Whereas someone else might be like, oh, this is just how I am. Yeah. So like he was just cruising at a suboptimal level. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, this none of this is normal. We need to fix this. <laughs> and at the time he was open, but probably because we just started dating and like, you know, what's he going to say? No. Right. Like, he didn't want to, like, so I <laughs> ran labs on him and I did all of his things and now he's doing great. That's so, awesome. Yeah, like, he literally, like, his energy is amazing now. Aww. I mean, he his energy was so bad before and he was taking naps, like, all the time. I think I remember I remember that. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I think he was also pretty stressed, too, at the time. Because he was trying to figure out like which route he wanted to go down with. That was a whole other thing. I know you guys talked about this on your podcast with him. Yes. He had undiagnosed OCD. I was like, when I mm-hmm. met him, I was like, oh boy, this is OCD. This is not generalized stress. And OCD is something that you can treat with like herbs so, and stuff or deficiencies? It depends. Okay. Um, a lot of people do really well on different nutraceuticals and different supplementation and they can manage it really, really well with that. Cool. Um, Beyond OCD. He ended up getting on something because we were at a make it or break it point in our relationship where I was like, I can't live like this. Like I, like it was so bad. Were you living together? We were living together and I couldn't, I couldn't live like this. So I was like, Trevor, you gotta get a grip. Like you gotta do something here. 
You're making yourself sick. You're making me sick. Aww. And he ended up getting on like some Zoloft because Zoloft, it's an antidepressant, but it also works for OCD. Interesting. Um, And it was like a light switch. And he really? was like, this is what it's like to be normal my whole life. I thought like I was just like confused. You know how obsessive he mm-hmm. was about like decisions in his career and trying right. to make a decision. He's like, I just thought that that was like normal. And he's like, I can't believe this. And like it, when you need meds, you need meds. Yeah. Like there's... I'm not the type of provider to be like, oh, no one should be on meds. When you need them, you need them. Yeah. Um, and maybe one day he can do like naturals and holistics and get on some supplementation. But in the meantime, it keeps everyone nice and <laughs> keeps a happy home. Right. So. Happy wife, happy life. Yeah. So I've had someone tell s- someone that I know before um, that if like she got off all of her prescription medication, she would lose all of her weight. Is mm. that like, like, what well, do you it's think dangerous. About like it's definitely <laughs> dangerous. So if you need to be on meds, you need to be on meds. Yeah. Um, when my patients come to me and they're like, hey, I want to get off this med, I'm not like, oh, yeah, let's get you off. First of all, I legally can't say that. You yeah. have to go back to your prescribing physician. But I'm like, let's work on the underlining reasons why you're on the med. And while we're doing that, get routine blood work. And if things are improving, your doctor can slowly you know, by confirming it through your lab work, mm-hmm. reduce your med into the point where you don't need it. Mm-hmm. That would be the safe way to go right, about it. Not to be like, just get off of it. No, that's <laughs> that's someone who doesn't understand um, foundations of health, illness, medication, yeah. withdrawals, pressure. like that could be very dangerous. Yeah, because also liability. Yeah. Oh, liability. liability for sure. <laughs> yeah. I always love to say, if you don't have a medical license, you have no license to lose. And I think that's what happens in the Instagram community. There's all these people giving health advice. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, how can they be doing that? Well, they don't have a license to lose. So That's fair. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Because you, you see a lot of stuff. I, I've, I've, a few times in my life, I've gone on and off ADD medications just from mm-hmm. like when I was in third grade, they started me on Ritalin. And then, oh, wow. you know, I, within that same year, I was like complaining. I was like upset every day. And so, you know, the teacher was talking to my parents like, you guys should probably take him off. Whatever he's on, he's, he's complaining about oh, wow. like pills that he's taking. And um, so fast forward to like college, I, I didn't have any experience with it again until like Adderall, right? And I, I do have ADD, like very, as a kid, very severe. As an adult, whatever. Like, like you more managed. Yes. Um, went to a behavioral health um, therapist, I guess, back, I don't know, it was like five or six years ago, seven yeah, years ago. And um, she was like, yeah, I mean, did like a six-hour exam. She's like, you have it pretty bad. You're in like the bottom three percentile of of being wow. able to multitask and like mm. think think about what you you need to do in the future while yeah. also trying to take care of something currently. Can you like, imagine what our fights are about? <laughs> there are a lot of tests that, oh, wow. that were very bad. And so I started to internalize that. Like, this is why I'm failing with the National Guard. This is why I'm failing with music. This is why I'm failing with, mm. like, I need I need to be on something. So on Vyvanse, on Adderall, right away, these drugs are like a lightning rod to your productivity. Oh, for sure. The flip side is I lost like all of my personality. Mm -hmm. I would lose like any empathy. I would lose all of that. I was just like a robot. Yeah. And I liked it because, okay, I'm super productive. Mm -hmm. He also lost weight because he never ate. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't eat. <laughs> I didn't have motivation to work out. Like, there's all these trade offs to it. Um, I'd like bring him water and be like, "Do you need food? Did you eat today? No." <laughs> like, oh and it was a, God, an emotional crazy, roller coaster. Like, I would be 
like feeling way up here. Mm. And then suddenly I was like anxious and I was upset and I was irritable. I'm sure your blood sugars were crashing. Oh my and, gosh, can you imagine? Yeah. That, yeah, that was like on a daily basis. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, people take this every day. Mm-hmm. And this, I so eventually I came this full circle, like I am who I am mm-hmm. and that's fine. Like I'm not good at some things. But the part of me that that drug suppresses is a part of me that that I love and, and like it, you know, makes me me. Yeah. So, okay. Some things I'm not great at, but I can actively work at those things mm-hmm. without that. So for me personally, like ADD meds. Wasn't for you. Not for me. Have you tried lion's mane? So I've been taking that. Savannah got me a, <laughs> some, some gummy <laughs> chews <laughs> and uh, it's made a huge difference. I mean. What are they called? Focus? Uh, I think they're called some What's kind of. The, yeah. I wonder how much is in there. I don't think we it's a lot to compared to a ton of that. I think he takes like double the dose. No, no. There's only like 25 milligrams or oh something. It's goodness. very, very small. You could be on like three grams of lion's mane. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I gotta um, look that up. You might have to cut that. Let me see. <laughs> um, but it, there's some studies on how effective it is and it's equally as effective as some of these ADHD meds. This is for focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, like. With music, it was so funny. Like I would, I would, I would make sure that if I was going to make music, I would take it. That was right, by the way. <laughs> she three, knows three, her three, two three to four grams. grams of yeah. the lion's mane. <laughs> Wait, two to four grams, and how much is in your? Like twenty five milligrams. It's not a lot. Oh my goodness! But yes, you can take half the bottle. Um, <laughs> music. So, so, I, so when I would when I would sit down to make music, yeah, I I would get a lot done, but it would turn off this whole creative side of my brain. Yeah, when you were on medication. Yeah, I would have a minimal baseline of creativity enough to make a song, mm. and I could do like it's very technical, right? You're on the computer. I'd blow through it. At the end of the day, I'd be like, "This is great." I'd go to sleep. I'd wake up you the next day. I'd listen to it, and I'm like, like, "This is garbage." <laughs> <laughs> so it's cruel. Like I convinced myself that I needed that to get yeah. to get that done. And then the best songs I've ever made have been without any of that. So I believe it. Um, I think yeah, time and place and. I also think, like you said, these are parts of who you are and it may not be looked upon as a gift in our society because our society really just values productivity and test scores. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, But in terms of like creativity, like everyone's brain is different and we love to standardize a brain and that's just not, it's not really appropriate. And I think that even goes into like relationships. So like what I just jokingly said about our fights, like I think it, it, that is a huge part of like making a relationship work is like Alex and I, when we had that realization one day of like, Oh my gosh, like we are total opposites, like how our brains work, you know? Mm. And (laughs) I get it. I get it. (laughs) I get it. Yeah. My loving husband is my opposite. (laughs) But isn't, that what makes it like such a great it makes it interesting you know what I think that you end up with a person that is going to help heal you oh and so like Trevor is the most patient person on the planet Mm -hmm. and like I don't I don't have patience like not even like to one degree Mm -hmm. I agree with that Alex is very patient and I'm assuming you're probably not (laughs) it's like personality traits I think people who are highly decisive like they are they tend to be judgmental they tend to be although I'm not highly decisive (laughs) oh no Uh uh-oh Well, it's highly indecisive. Are you? 
But decisive, she's decisively that. indecisive. So it's I can't. An anxiety I can't make okay, decisions. Okay, we gotta get you on some looking glasses. <laughs> 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 Fix this anxiety. Oh my god. But but I do. Besides that, I do. I think it's like the people that are very just more like high strung, like high anxiety or yeah. go 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 can't turn anything off. They're less patient. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So like, I think you end up with the people that like mirror the things that you need to work on, yes. and then. It ends up being a perfect combination. I feel yeah. the way with friendships too. I always tell Alexis that I am more attracted to the friends that are like very different from me. Um, I also have friends that are very similar to me, mm. but I like I find the people I like admire or I'm attracted to as a friend. It's like they're more they have more kutzpah. Like they're just more ballsy. They'll say whatever they like mm. they think, which I feel like aren't don't you have that in you? Yeah. You're like kind of you're not afraid to say what you're thinking. It's a problem. But <laughs> I want I want to be that, you know. So I'm like so I love people I like you. I love that because I'm like the opposite. Like I, when I find someone like really calm and like super feminine and like I, yeah, I'm like I might be more like you. Like yeah. someone who's just a beer and not a doer. I'm like. It's amazing. I'm also attracted to that because I'm, I'm neither of those things. I am um, like yeah, this in-between thing. But I do. I also admire the person. I'm thinking of someone very specific who like not only, oh, we ran into her at the gym. You and I oh, did. Yeah. So she like, she runs her own business and she's very successful. She's also a mother of two, but somehow she is so calm and like tranquil. And Amazing. like, you know, how, how does that I love happen that for her? How does, how does I would that? love that for me too, though. <laughs> <laughs> but so back to relationships, I do, I feel like it took Alex and I to be like, oh, like we're the yin and the yang, like we're or whatever, however you say that. Yang. Yep. <laughs> yin and yang. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> I never knew that. It's okay. No one does. <laughs> she was like, oh. <laughs> but right, like however you want to phrase that, I feel like that's what makes it good you know yeah for sure like you need that balance yeah Mm -hmm. so so how how long did it take you guys to like overcome like I feel like with us at least there was this period of time where we we identified that we were so different Mm -hmm. and it was a point of friction it was like yeah you need to be more like me no you need to be more like me why can't we just figure it out and now I think we've we've come to this point where like you're good at this I'm good at this Mm-hmm. Yeah. Complete it full circle. Mm-hmm. And, I know. love that. Yeah. Um, I don't, Trevor and I had such an interesting journey. I think like we're definitely there now. Like we're in that place now where I know my strengths and weaknesses and those are his opposites. And so we complement each other really well. Um, I would say probably like the last, the last year of quarantine or whenever that was where we were living together in his condo it was a really small space. We were going stir crazy with the, he was fine. He's fine. Like being in quarantine. <laughs> I was going stir crazy. Like that's when our like triggers really started to butt heads with each other. And I think really just having more space, like allowed for us to kind of mesh and figure it out. But I don't know. I, it was always me. I was always the problem. Like Trevor <laughs> is very much um, like he can see things so clearly. Like he can look at a problem and be like, this is why we're having this argument. Mm. This is the trigger. This is the reality, not the emotional reality, which mm. we're both feeling, but this is like the actual reality. And we're on the same side. Like, so even though it feels like it's you against me right now, we're really on the same side here. And so having someone so stable, like it makes all the difference. Cause mm. I'm not the most stable person. You're a cancer, aren't you? I am. So I'm very emotional yeah. and like turbulent. Yeah. Um. So like we were able to gel pretty fast, but it took a little, it was, it was me. It took me a little bit of time. <laughs> That's a Taylor Swift song. Oh, it is. Well, it was me. So I can relate to that. 
<laughs> yeah, I actually on our last podcast um, was with Ashlyn Justice. We always have to like throw back to all of our go listen to our Ashlyn Justice episode. Um, we talk about exactly that, like how you know once you realize we're fighting for the same cause, we are yeah. on the same team. Like once you figure that out. It's like, wow. You could take a step back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, why yeah. are we, why are we, I don't understand why we want to fight with the person we love literally the most, you mm-hmm. know, like, and make a big deal about things that, like, at the end of the day, that's not, that's not why I fell in love with Alex for his, like, you know. But that <laughs> is, like, you're attracted to those right. things, and then those are the things that end up driving you crazy. Right. Yes. It's not like so I was like, you- oh, I love that he's late and procrastinates, but at the same time, it is, like, that's part of. His whole thing. I don't think you ever said you love that I'm late and procrastinating. What did you say? I don't think you ever said that. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I never was thinking that. But at the end end of the day, it was that part of you that's more low key, like more chill. Right. Right. That I really liked. That you were really attracted to. Because the person I dated before him was very uptight and like, like anxious, like I am. You know yeah. what I mean? I don't need more of that. Yeah, I get in my that. life. I get it. <laughs> so. Anyway, I, we definitely wanted to ask you about you and Trevor's dynamic because we knew it was it's similar funny to it's ours. Very similar, mm-hmm. yeah. But um, would he's you just ever? A great partner. Sorry to interject. No, um, would you ever? And I feel like you guys kind of did this a little bit. Would you ever work together in any way? <laughs> I don't think it would be healthy for us. Um, I just i I am probably not the best person to. I just am the way that I am. And I need people to, I have a very high expectation of what I am looking for. And so like, if we're going to do business together, I don't care if your arm is falling off, expect you to show up when it's time to work. And like, that's just not him. Like he's very go with the flow. And if Mm. I'm tired today, we'll just do it another day. And I'm like, literally I could be, (laughs) I could literally be like dragged in on the back of a truck and I would still go to work. So, like, I can't, I just can't. Um, That's fair. Yeah. So, for the sake of our relationship, we just, it's probably not the best. I can respect that. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Please, you don't ever ever have to come to a podcast episode when you're, like, dying. But I would. Like, I, you know, I'd be here no matter what. If if my car broke down, I'd walk here. Like, I just, like, that's who I am. You get your steps in for the day. Yeah, right? That's who I am. Um, Um, Oh, go for it. I had a question. So, when you started on this path to doing what you're doing now, was this always something you had, had in mind or was this something like along the way you were like, oh, I think I want to do this? Yeah. So I, in my undergrad, I knew I was going to go into medicine. Um, my goal was to go and become a Western medical doctor. Uh, and during that time, I became a certified nursing assistant and I worked at um, the hospital in my college town to just pad my resume because you need a lot of padding to get into med school. Um, and it was my experience as a CNA that made me realize like, oh my gosh, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to work in this Western medical system because everything that I was seeing was like going against my core. It was like mm-hmm. the same people always coming back, never getting better. Just, I just, it just didn't align with me at that point. And I didn't want to do crisis management. Um, and I did not want to do chronic care management. And so like, if you want to do those things, that is the place for you. But it, it just wasn't where my heart was. And I kind of had a mental breakdown. So I was like, oh, great. I've just spent three and a half years studying to go be a doctor. And now, like, what am I doing? Um, so I ended up doing more research and pivoting into traditional Chinese medicine. I found it on a whim. And I kind of fell in love with the philosophy. I had no experience with it, but I was like, it's either doing this one thing that I know in my heart I would be really miserable doing or just jumping into this other thing that sounds pretty cool, but I actually don't know much about it. And Mm. I just did that option and it worked out. 
So you didn't grow up with a family that was like going to acupuncture or? I mean, not really. My family was pretty crunchy, but like in the 90s, things were different. Yeah. Things weren't as polarized. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't get vaccinated as a kid and it wasn't a thing. Like my mom's or my pediatrician that my mom took me to, it was just like, I don't know if you really need this. If you want it, I'll give it. But, you know, I think she's fine. My mom's like, yeah, we could skip it. It, like, wasn't a thing. Yes. Um, And so I wouldn't say, like, grew up crunchy. But looking back, I'm like, huh, I wasn't really medicated. I wasn't really vaccinated. My parents were huge into Tony Robbins. Like, that, we grew up in an Anthony Robbins household. I don't know if you know him. He's, like, a motivational speaker. Well, Tony Um, Robbins. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so we grew up with, like, manifestation mindset. Oh, cool. Um, Super, super, super healthy eating growing up, but it wasn't like I didn't perceive us as being crunchy. Interesting, but I guess in today's standards, (laughs) yeah. I mean, if if a family does what my family did, they'd be considered a little outlandish. Yeah, but back then, like none, all my friends were the same. Like it just nothing was as polarizing back then. Yeah, yeah. How did your family feel when you said I'm not going to med school? Actually, I want to kind of pivot. I think my parents saw me have a nervous breakdown. Like I legitimately had a nervous breakdown. Yeah. It wasn't like oh I feel a little stressed and maybe I'm making a mistake. It was like my whole world was crashing down, and my mom was like okay, we're going to pivot. We're going to come up with a plan. Like my mom's very much like me. We're just going to come up with a plan. We gather data. The data turned out to not be what we want. We're going to gather new data. No problem. We're not going to, we're not going to think about it anymore. We're just going to pivot. And so it was, I was really lucky to have a family like that because I think if my family was more like, you know, you spent so much time investing in this, Mm -hmm. just go for it. I would be in such a different place and I would be so miserable. Yes. Yeah. And isn't it amazing? Like, you know, you, sometimes it's, the only thing you can do, there's these glorified jobs that we think we want to do. And you don't actually know what it's going to be like until you get there. Even if it is a long and grueling process to get there, it doesn't necessarily mean it'll be worth it. Oh, for sure. I mean, you see that in healthcare, like most, I don't remember the statistic. I think it's, I think it's maybe a third of all people in healthcare tell their children not to go into healthcare mm -hmm. or are actively trying to get out of healthcare. That's a That's massive wild. statistic. Yeah. When we had a doctor, Pauline Leon, she was saying that, like, the I think dentists were, I don't think they're anymore, like, they had the highest rate of suicide of, like, most medical practitioners, which I know is just in the medical field, yeah. but still, it's like, I'm sure that's a thing, too. You have all this hype, and then you end up, like, hating what you do. Yeah. I, money doesn't, like, I think dropping the idea that, like, you know, something is going to be worth it regardless because other people say it's a good job yeah. or a good a good industry. Like, you know, same thing with the army. Like I went through this whole process. It'd be cool. I graduated. I was an officer, infantry, cool stuff. But at the end of the day, like how much, how much is this? How much am I enjoying this? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So it's probably for the best that you figured it out before you went through medical school. It's such a blessing (laughs) because like I love, love, love traditional Chinese medicine theory. It is my heart and soul. And every t- I look at things from a new perspective. Like TCM school changed who I am. Wow. Like I know it sounds like so dramatic, <laughs> but it changed who I am fundamentally as a person. Um, and that alone, whether or not I decided to practice medicine when I graduated was irrelevant. TCM school changed me and it was such a beautiful journey. Wow. Yeah. And you said it was three years, right? So. Um, three years post-grad. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you were just doing that? You weren't working or anything? You were just So I was doing clinical rotations okay. for two of those three years, and then I had an external clinical internship on top of my internal clinical rotations. 
because I am who I am. So I'm like, I'm going to do all the things all the time, 24-7. So one of my professors had a private practice, and I interned with him as well. Wow. And is that what made you be like, okay, I want to have my own private practice? Like, how did that happen? Oh, I didn't. I didn't want a private practice. Oh. Um, after graduating, I went out to California for two weeks of training for something called NAET, N-A-E-T sort of um, allergy elimination treatment. It's a certification program. And um, you basically learn how to desensitize people to allergens. So if you have like a food allergy to like blueberries, I could treat you and then you'll no longer be allergic to blueberries Whoa. and you can eat them. So I was out in California for two weeks. And while I was there, I met this woman in my class who worked at a practice in Jacksonville at an allergy elimination treatment center. That's all I did predominantly was NAAT. Um, and I thought that that was the field I wanted to go into. And at the time, I was long distance with my boyfriend who lived in Jacksonville. And oh. so I was like, talk about fate. Like, Perfect. I'm in Los Angeles and I meet someone who's like, oh, I think we're hiring for interns in Jacksonville. So I was like, okay, done deal. So I moved to Jacksonville. Wait, where were you living at this time? In Fort Lauderdale. Okay. So I moved to Jacksonville. I did this inter- internship for like nine months while I was finishing my medical boards. And um, after the internship, it ended up being a uh, like not positive experience. I learned a lot, but it was a, for me in that environment, it was not a positive working environment and it was not possible for me to be there long-term. I wasn't happy and it was really stressful and it was pretty toxic. And so I had an, my second nervous breakdown of my life <laughs> happened at that point. And I called my mom hysterical, like, what am I going to do? I moved up here for this position. So my other options are like, stay here and open up a practice because there's no jobs for people like me. So acupuncturists have to start their own businesses, which is ironic because we don't get business training in school, (laughs) which is why so many people do not succeed out of school. I think I'm one of two people in my graduating class that's still practicing. They should add that in Actually, one, two, three, three people. That is wild. Um, But anywho, where was I going with this? So you were thinking about... So my mom was like, you know, we got options again. (laughs) We can open up a practice in Jacksonville because this is where you live. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you can go anywhere that you want to go and do anything that you want to do. But those are the two available options. And I, you know, was long-term with my boyfriend at the time. I think we were, I don't know, at maybe maybe three and a half or four years of dating. So... I was like, well, I guess this is it. So I opened up a practice, and then, wow. and then here we are, years later, like seven years later. How wow. long did it take you to like open the practice? Um, so I quit my job in September, no, August, and I had my business opened in September. Wow, it was like a month turnaround. What? <laughs> yeah. So you just found a place to rent out of. Mm-hmm. Like okay. in one week, I got all my business licenses, my oh LLC. Gosh. I got everything done. I found a place. I got all the equipment that I needed. Um, and how did you how did you figure out what you needed to do? Like, how did you figure out all these requirements for the business right away? So my mom owns a business. Okay. So she's like, okay, this is what we need to legally have a business in Florida. And so she came up for a week. Like, my mom is such a rock star. Came up for a week and got all of my, like, businessy stuff taken care of. And then I knew what I needed to run a practice because I watched how a practice was run Mm -hmm. in my internship. So I kind of, I was a sponge as an intern. I was observing everything, what I want to do, what I don't want to do, what systems I want to incorporate. Mm. Um, And I just implemented everything I learned in 
was able to start a practice. And you started just you? You didn't have any other staff? I started just me in a tiny, tiny little office. Um, And within nine months, I outgrew my space. Like you had that many clients Mm -hmm. or patients? So within that, yeah, I ended up being able to break my lease. I found like a sublease person to take over my lease. I went to a new space, which was so much more beautiful and bigger. We were, I was there for two years, and then I bought my building. You did? Wow. And so my practice got super busy, super fast. Um, wow. And it was by divine intervention, because as all of this was happening, I was really sick. I had endometriosis. And I was in and out of the hospital, had surgeries, had to take off of work for you know, six months at a time. And then I'd come back and be like, oh God, I'm going to have to start over. Mm-hmm. And it's like, everyone's right there when I came back, wow. like ready to start again. And I was like, it was just by divine intervention, how it all happened. There's no other way I can explain it. That's amazing because I know that's like my biggest fear is not being able to work because my business is me. <laughs> you know, yeah. I am so the person. If you are supposed to do this work, no matter how many times you step back, every time you come back, it'll pick up again. That is amazing. It's just how it's going to be. Wow. Okay. That's beautiful. <laughs> I'd love to hear that. <laughs> what was you. what was one of the most difficult things when you were starting to like overcome with the business? I think the loneliness of sitting in an empty office with no patients day after you have to just keep showing up. And that's hard. Like showing up and feeling really stupid, like sitting in an empty office waiting for that phone to ring Aww. and then hoping that if that phone rings that you were going to somehow be able to get this person in your door. That's and, hard. And what were you doing to, like, I guess proactively you know, advertise? and? So at the time I was doing all the things that you're told to do, or at least I was told to do. I joined networking groups and I went door to door to all the businesses. I introduced myself. I handed out business cards. I met like-minded professions and I tried to establish relationships for referral, which was very difficult. People generally stick to their own. I once had a professor in school tell me, be careful not to get involved with too many other professions because they're going to want to keep their patients because people have a limited amount of money. So a chiropractor is not going to want to refer them to you Mm. because they have a limited amount of money. And like Mm. why, and it's so fascinating because I found that to be the complete opposite. (laughs) Like all, I have such a wonderful referral network now. And I think as long as you have people in your network that truly don't care about the money, they truly only care about what's in the best interest of the patient, they'll refer out. And there's literally an endless supply of patients. So if you're only treating the people that truly need you, you're not like trying to just hold on to them because you want their money. Mm -hmm. You're only treating the people that truly need you. Then you can refer out everyone else to other people who you know they'll do better with. Mm -hmm. So I know I kind of just went on a rabbit hole there. but um, but I love that. Yeah. So I did a lot of that. And ultimately, none of that panned out. And somehow, I just had... A couple people trickle through my door. I posted in like some magazines, Natural Awakenings. I had a couple people trickle through my door. They got better. They referred people. They got better. They referred people. And it was a grassroots movement wow. for my practice. So do a really good job with one person. And they'll tell and people. And the next person. Yeah. And yeah, over time it'll. Which is hard because there is no guarantee in medicine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not like fixing a car where it's like, I could just replace this part. It'll be fine. It's There's no guarantee. So I'm like, I'm asking you to trust me. And invest your money with me. And in return, I'm going to do the best that I can. And it might not be good enough. And that's medicine. That's 
just how medicine is. Mm-hmm. And um, beyond that, like your, you know, what what people come to somebody for and what they pay for isn't always just the, the underlying service, but it's the actual, you know, personality and, and the and the relationship you build with yeah. with the professional that you're working with, and you know, the overall experience. You know, mm-hmm. that alone could sustain yeah. the relationship. So I think that. There could be five different providers that do the exact same thing and someone will get better with one and not the other. Mm. And there's this like je ne sais quoi about it. Like I don't quite know why if we're all doing the same exact thing. And I think there's this underlining energetic component that's not understood or talked about, especially in the Western realm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I see it in my practice because people will come in and I'm like, you know, what did you do with your other provider? And I look at their protocols. I'm like, damn good protocol. What's going on? And I do a similar protocol and they get better. And I'm like, Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. There's just wow. a je ne sais quoi about it. Huh. So I um screenshotted some of your reviews. And I wanted, <laughs> oh I wanted to gosh, read them to the people. I'm gonna make <laughs> oh you I'm gonna make Lord. you embarrassed. Um okay, so well Julian, how many how many people are on your wait list right now? There's a lot. So <laughs> I've officially stopped counting. Um, but the last <laughs> time I counted, there's about four hundred. Can you, Alex, I just want you to imagine that. That's nuts. 400 local, pretty much, right? Local people? Mostly local. And every single day I'm in the office, I get, I would say every week I'm in the office, I get between one and seven emails asking to go on the waiting list every week. Wow. So it's like when I tell people there's a never-ending supply, that's why we don't need to be greedy about keeping patients and making sure like they're always with us and we can never let them leave. Like, let them leave get them better and let them leave because mm-hmm. there's literally thousands mm-hmm. of people that are that need help. So this so. just before I read these reviews on what you're saying that like exact epiphany just kind of happened with me, but I think that proves that I'm at a place where I'm like secure and, you know, th- who I am and that my clients you're out love of a me. scarcity mindset? Yes, but exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's I I feel like I'm I'm getting there because I have a client who has bad scoliosis. I don't know anything about scoliosis. Mm. I don't claim to know anything about scoliosis yeah. and she found this awesome girl that's like a chiropractor but she also specializes in Pilates. Maybe oh, it's, cool. I don't know if it's someone you know, but I'd never heard of her. And I was like, this girl sounds awesome. Like I want to meet her. I want to yeah. want her to be on my referral team. And she was saying, oh, it's kind of pricey, but like she's saying I need to go X amount of times, but I might have to like cut back here or should I just come here more often and just like nix her, you know? Cause like, I'd rather come here and I'm like, I think you should go see her. Good job. You know, yeah. like that, like that makes so much more sense. And then maybe she's going to help you and you can come here more. Exactly. Right. It's like, let go of the people who you know you can't help right now because yeah. it lends more room for the people that you can help. Yeah, absolutely. I know. And that, that is exactly, I think a lot of times in whatever field you're in, but I noticed it a lot in my space, just like that. The scarcity mindset is so yeah. real. Whenever I, I worked at a gym where everyone was a personal trainer, you felt like everyone was like a shark, like trying to come get your client from you. Like it was the yes. weirdest environment. And I've never, I had never like experienced that before. And I hated it. I hate, I felt like everyone felt insecure and yeah. everyone was like worried and it was just, it was awful. So I totally respect your point of view on that. I think that's perfect. Um, so, okay. So like we said, Julian has like 400 something people on our wait list and I <laughs> screenshot some of these uh, oh reviews. I'll like send them to like people of like people I want to, I want to go to you. You've sent I'll, me some great people by the way. Oh yeah. Good. Yeah. I don't I'm, know if you know them, know them, or if they just follow you, but Sometimes they'll, I always say, like, how'd you hear about me? And one of them said your name Yay. and, like, their family is doing amazing. Yay. I'm like, I have people awesome. that just, like, remember I've said it before, whether it was on Instagram or a client, and they're like, who is that person again? And <laughs> I just got a long waiting list, but hop on it. Um, okay, so 
kind of what Alex was saying about like the person's what did you say? Like how it really like, kind of how you were saying like it could be the energy between people mm-hmm. that causes the success or like a person really just can be really attracted to like who you are and that's what makes you so successful. So this person was saying um like how Julianne is a phenomenal health and healing provider. I can't say enough positive things about the care I've received. She's extensive knowledge about the body and what it needs to heal and understand how to tap into the body's innate ability to heal itself. Blah, 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 blah. But she was also touching on how, like, she went to so many doctor's appointments. Everything kept being, you know, she kept being prescribed more tests to rule stuff out. She felt hopeless. And then just through your, your, oh, your peaceful presence (laughs) and listening intently in every conversation and applying your tools to create a specific and modified protocols based on everyone's unique needs, like, you were able to help this person, right? So, but it's like, you have to have a certain presence about you, obviously, one that's not very judgmental. I think a lot of people, they come to me, they are hopeless. Yeah, absolutely. For some people, I don't say this to everyone because everyone's different. But some people will look at them and be like, no, after doing their 90-minute consult and like really understanding exactly what they've been through and all that, I'll look at them and be like, oh, no, 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 you can 100% get better, 100%. And sometimes hearing that, it's like, oh, my God, like this, I don't have to be like this for the rest of my life. I can heal. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you absolutely can heal, like 100%. And like I said, I don't say that to everyone. I say that to the people that I know for a fact. Mm -hmm. But the other people, it's like, hey, I might be able to get you 50% and that might that's all I might be able to do, but would you be happy with that? And they're like, heck, if I could be 50% better, I would take it. Yeah. So having some hope is monumental. Because you people. do you do feel very hopeless, especially if you're just kind of, you've been running through the all the tests and going to the specialists and no one's yeah. giving you an answer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think from the business perspective or the business side of it, it's like you can always be crippled on taking action and actually starting whatever it is that you want to do because you, you might think, oh, I'm not the best one, right? Mm-hmm. There's better, there's better people in the immediate area or just, you know, extended this, but mm-hmm. there's more knowledgeable people on social media. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, provide my service when it might not be as good as everybody mm-hmm. else. But really, that's not always what it's about. It, what might be more important is your actual you know, who you, what your character is and like mm-hmm. how you present yourself mm-hmm. and how you interact with people. Yeah. I think that's important. Did it take you a while to, um, I guess, kind of overcome like the scarcity mindset or the, the feeling of being maybe insecure that I'm not the most knowledgeable person in my field? Did you feel like you were kind of a newbie when you started? Um, I think in the beginning, I wasn't quite sure the direction I wanted to go. Yeah. Like now I really know my specialties and I feel very confident in my specialties. In the beginning, it's kind of like you're just hoping you can make some positive changes and mm-hmm. you'll see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, in regards to scarcity mindset, with patients, I don't have that. With health, I don't have that. Um, like I said, I think there's a never-ending supply of sick people. The world is getting more toxic. People mm-hmm. are getting sicker. Um, people are getting more stressed out. And so the, the scarcity thing doesn't really happen with sick patients. There's too many of them. Um, <laughs> But when it comes to other in like aspects of my life, scarcity is a big theme that I'm constantly trying to work my way out of. Mm-hmm. And it comes from childhood trauma. And so like I know my triggers and I'm actively working on it, but it's hard. Yeah, yeah for sure. I just remember being like really new in my field and being very like nervous, you know, yeah. nervous that I was going to hurt someone. Also nervous that I was going to suck. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think doing internships helps because yeah. you're... You're new, but you have teachers and guidance. 
So by the time you are truly on your own, you're like, oh, I've been practicing for X amount of months or years already. Mm -hmm. So I'm not like new, new. And plus I did clinical internships for two years within my program, plus the year outside my program. So like I've been seeing patients throughout my entire medical education um, under guidance. So I I didn't feel new. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that is something I definitely, I feel. Like I don't think your field has that, does it? If you were an exercise science major, maybe. like that was something I wish I would have done is shadow other trainers. That's what I've always admired about like the trades, right? So yeah. you go to you go to college and you don't have unless you do an internship, but even then I would say, you know, it might not be the same and like right, you're going to sit in a in an office somewhere yeah. and but the trades you have to be an apprentice and yeah. you know, you have yeah. to do I a lot of that that, that that's that grungy work that like you, nobody else wants to do, yeah. but you learn exactly what goes into For this. Sure. And then, you know, you, you, by the time you get to where you're, you're the master, you are the master. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have. Except in medicine, you never are. Right. Very <laughs> true. <laughs> it's such an art. It really is. Yeah. And there's always a case that's going to, there's always going to be someone that is not the norm that like, it should be X, Y, Z. The labs like don't make sense to the symptoms. Like I have a a case right now and, um, she is just mind boggling. And her doctor who I really, really like, she called me and was like, let's just, let's brainstorm this case together because she's blowing my mind and I'm sure she's blowing your mind. And this is, this defies what we should know about medicine. There's always those cases in medicine. What do you, guys like think you're gonna do do you feel like you're gonna have to refer out to someone else well that's what we're like we're like who can we possibly refer out yeah like when you've seen every specialty nothing is checking out and our fear is that if you refer to the wrong person the label that the patient will get is psychosomatic oh she's anxious Mm. oh she's just you know she's uh she's lonely she doesn't have enough on her hands so she creates a story in her head about mm. why she's so sick and then she fixates on her symptoms and th- then it makes her even more sick and it's like ugh, for when someone's really sick that's the worst thing you could do it's such a slap in the face Aww. to be told that you're just anxious you yeah. know yeah. so but anyhow it's um there's always a curveball yeah that's interesting um okay so i Want to ask you about breast implant illness? Okay, Alex and I talk about breast implant illness all the time because I was very only close. because Savannah brings it up a lot. Because Alex likes talking about boobs. Were you thinking about getting implants? I was thinking about getting oh, my yeah. implants yeah, right before we got anything. married. I went to Palm Beach Plastic Surgery, and I have no boobs, so I was feeling very insecure. My old boyfriend told me that I would look good with. Big boobs, so I, I don't like got old boy. Yeah, friends. so I got in my head. I, he offered to pay for them, so I oh, was I like, don't like him even more now. <laughs> wow, he goes, wow. He goes, babe, what if if I paid for you to get implants? Time you get to them? go. <laughs> no, oh my so god. So I like knew I had small boobs, but then when he said that, I was like, you're like, oh, oh wow, they must be really tiny. <laughs> I was like, wow. So um, yeah, I and of course I tell Alex, and he's like super upset. My mom's upset. My friend's upset. They're yeah. all like, you don't need to do this. And and Alex was more so, I think worried from the health perspective i think at this time this was like four years ago five years ago uh four yeah. um you know at the, around this time things were starting to come out about explants and stuff mm-hmm. um but still like now it's pretty trendy like you type bii like mm-hmm. uh, as a hashtag on instagram or tiktok and you see a lot so the interesting thing is it's all anecdotal cases right it's people saying this right. has happened to me right and i'm so sick and then i got them out and i'm better mm-hmm. um but when you ask surgeons um they'll tell you for the most part i haven't seen a single surgeon like 
really talk about mm-hmm. breast implants, but they'll all say it's safe and that there's no evidence. Mm-hmm. And um, they've been doing this for 30, 40, whatever years. I mean, my mom, she had implants in because she had breast cancer and she had reconstructive surgery. Mm-hmm. She had all these wild, crazy symptoms. And I think one of her implants was leaking. And she went to the surgeon and was like, do I need to get this out? And I was telling my mom, like, you got to get these out. Oh my like, gosh. just get, it's a foreign body. Yes. So, and I'm very much like, don't put anything in your body that's foreign because yeah. your, your body's going to try to wall that off. Mm-hmm. It's a foreign body. It does not belong. Right. Um, and so the surgeon said to my mom, well, it's a slow leak. And I think <laughs> it's probably fine because it's double walled and encapsulated. So it should be okay. And I was like, mom, whether it's a slow leak or not, you need to get it out. You need to just get these guys out. And I said, why don't you bring up breast implant illness and all the symptoms you're having? And he said to my mom, I've been doing this for 40 years. They're very safe. You know, I've never seen an issue. And it's like, well, of course you didn't see an issue because do you follow up with your patients after four, six months after explant? No, you don't. You put them in, you take them out. Right. You don't do patient care, really, for the most mm-hmm. part. And what, and what do you, how are you quantifying what's an issue or not? Does it have to be life-threatening? Does it yeah, have to manifest exactly. as like a certain stage of cancer? Or like, what, what about all the subtleties of like, oh, well, I feel really say exhausted. Well, that it's not from that because don't forget Western medicine compartmentalizes and Eastern medicine doesn't. So when someone says like, I have these implants and now all of a sudden I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. I can't get out of bed. I have brain fog. They'll say, Oh, are you depressed? You have a virus, mm. you know, are you what whatever. They'll come up with a million things. They'll never think, oh, could it be what's in your breast tissue? Because <laughs> that's so far off from your brain and your general lethargy. But in right. Eastern medicine, we don't segment or compartmentalize the body. Everything in Eastern medicine is a whole. So we're like, for example, every organ has a flavor, every organ has a season, every organ has an emotion, every wow. organ has a time of day. So when someone tells me like, you know, I'm really agitated and I'm irritable. I can't control my emotions. I wake up at three in the morning, every single morning for no reason. Um, you know, I, I have wandering pain all over my body, all these things. I'm like, oh, okay. It's your liver. But in Western medicine, we would never be like, oh, let's think about the liver after all those generalized symptoms, you know? That so, is wild. That's interesting. Yeah. I love to hear that. So when I went to get my um, consult done, I was like, hey, you know, we have autoimmune in the family. I could definitely have a tendency to have it. Yeah. Um, do you think this would be an issue if I have like an autoimmune disease? And they were like, oh, no. Oh, absolutely, absolutely not. not. <laughs> totally safe. Yeah. Totally safe. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I've been kind of hearing stuff about breast implant illness. Do you know anything about no that? scientific like, data to breast. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. They're going to no. say there's no studies on that. We can't. Right. confirm it's like yeah studies are not the holy grail and i right. i know in america we love and how studies. do we, we love get, how do we get studies I mean, first they of have all to be... research and funding right mm-hmm. so if there's not research and funding studies aren't going to happen it doesn't right. mean it's not studied because it's not worthy of a study it just means mm-hmm. it hasn't been studied mm-hmm. and and when is there more incentive to do studies when, when there's, there's a profit involved. yeah mm-hmm. oh I, yeah i thought it was hilarious when they were like okay the silicone ones are bad right we're, we're, yeah, we're gonna say safer. those but the saline's inside silicone. It's and that's the, the part that's touching crazy. all the tissues. Yeah, like- I know. The whole thing is insanity. Um, I always have this joke with my friend. I'm like, we're going to both be like the ugliest people <laughs> when we age because everyone are gr- in our age group, they're all doing the things. They're doing the fillers. They're doing the Botox. They're doing the lip stuff. They're doing all the things. And they look amazing. They do. And, you know, I won't do it because I, I can't compromise on my health. Like yeah. that's not something I'm willing to do. 
even though I so desperately want to do it. I know. <laughs> and so I'm like, I just am going to be the ugliest girl in the group and I have to accept it. I like, say to Alex it just every day. what it is. I'm like, just wait. When we're like dropping the kids off at school in like 10 years and you're like, man, all these hot moms. Seriously. Savannah, geez. Like, I know. together. But I'm like, you know what? It just, it is what it is. Surround yourself by like-minded people. Yeah. yeah. Surround I mean, myself with people that don't get that stuff done and then I'll feel okay. That's right. <laughs> the older I get and some of the more like subtle chronic pains or ailments that creep in mm-hmm. um, i'm only 30 but like right like my back there's like a lingering he pain doesn't do there mobility. um mm. it's like little things or like you know let's say you, i started running a lot lately my knees feel a bit yeah. warm up funky my ankles right? i used to not Uh-oh. feel that way um the, the longer you feel the longer you, like well just in general as, as you get older you you know, some things might not perform the same way they used yeah. to. That's natural. Uh, if there's one thing that that you start to realize, it's that feeling good and feeling healthy is you can't compromise it's the on only that. Thing like that, that mm-hmm. is so important. Mm-hmm. When you are in chronic pain or when you feel just like lethargic all the time yeah. or like whatever it is, yeah. you, you don't like to eat anything. Like that's horrible. Yeah. But feeling great, I. That's all That's all you need. I get it because I see people take advantage of their health and it pisses me off. I'm like, you don't realize. Like, like when people are out there just binge drinking on the I weekend. I knew you were going to say it. Like, it's true. Stuff like that. Eating it's true. crap. Not yep. exercising. Just living these like really ridic- ridiculous lives. Yeah. I look at that and I think like you have no idea what's coming. I do because I see it in practice every day. Yeah. And I just, it breaks my heart because once you lose your health, it is so hard to get it Mm -hmm. back. It's expensive. It's emotionally draining. It's time consuming. Mm -hmm. You have no idea what it's going to be like. And and what are those people chasing with the drinks or with those, with those meals that they're eating? It's It's little dopamine dopamine hits. But if your baseline of dopamine could be higher, it was the same thing with like Adderall, right? That launches all of your Mm -hmm. dopamine into the stratosphere in like a two, in like a two hour window. Okay, yeah. I'm, uh, that's a trade I'm making. I'm trading good feeling now mm-hmm. for really bad feeling later. Yeah. You can't have it both yeah. ways. And, and yeah. there's a dopamine swing too. So there's this book called Dopamine Nation. I don't know if you guys have read it. No, but it's I'm writing phenomenal. it down. Phenomenal. Um, okay. And it talks about uh, addicts and the brain and how it works. And um, But dopamine has a swing. So what comes up must come down. It's not like it comes up and then it levels. It right. comes up, it comes down, and then it levels. Mm. So, you know, people do these high dopamine hit behaviors and then they literally rebound in the opposite direction and then they stabilize and those swings get higher and lower. Um, and that high low gets so destructive for people because the higher it swings high, the lower it's going to swing low before it stabilizes. What are your thoughts? I recently did a, an ice bath for the first time. I love it. And it felt phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like I felt really good for hours afterwards. Um, and I wonder, okay, in, in those situations, they talk about a, a dopamine release with that. Mm-hmm. Um well, is there a trade-off there as well, or is it different because you're kind of naturally stimulating things opposed to... Well, I, I also think there's a nervous system regulation that happens with an ice bath versus just a drug hit, a dopamine hit, where you're isolating that. That would make sense. Um, <laughs> but I would have to like really do more research before I could speak medically about it because I don't know like the idiosyncrasies of it. Um, 
But from what I could tell, like clinically, I don't see negative dopamine swings with an ice bath or with sauna. Do you say you do ice baths? I don't do them, but I I, I want to. I want to get an ice bath, like one of those yeah. ones. Yes. For, but they're like they're they're really expensive. Yes. So, yes, so they my are. buddy Chris, which you've met, yeah, him, I know. Um, he got one sent to him from a company for lucky, like lucky. for like a few Not weeks. There. I think oh, okay. they, they were going to take it back. I think he was trying to convince them last time I checked. To, to let, like, him let me keep just it. have this. <laughs> yeah, but it was like five grand. Yeah. And he was doing it every day. And uh, that's where I did it. And uh, I'm like, yeah, if I, if I, if it was cheaper, I would absolutely oh, buy for one. sure. Alex came back and was like, Savannah, we got to get you in this thing. Oh, I would love it. I mean, it definitely, because I went in a cold pool that was 70 degrees, but it felt freezing. Okay. <laughs> I went in the cold pool like the day after. Yeah. And I was like, ooh. Like, not not so bad, right? Like, I get the I get the like that it kind of hits you differently after a couple minutes. They're like, okay, I'm feeling good. Yeah. So, well, but with like tra- with traditional Chinese medicine, is that like not? You know, I was thinking thing? that. So in TCM, we don't do cold. Right. Like, cold is not something that we recommend, um, especially for women, especially women of childbearing ages. Like, mm. it's not something we do. So I would say if you're trying to get pregnant, I would do sauna instead because there's extreme heat. Like whether it's um, sauna, infrared sauna, or a cold plunge, they do similar things. They modulate okay. the nervous system in a similar way. They support the immune system in a similar way. Um, so they help you with stress management. So I would say if you're a woman of childbearing age, you're wanting to get pregnant, do sauna. Um, absolutely do not do cold bath. But that's from a TCM perspective. And that doesn't mean that that's like the right perspective or the, you know, end all be all answer. But that's from my training. And I wouldn't do it if I was trying to get pregnant. Okay. That's yeah. fair. But for men, and if men are trying to get their woman pregnant, go do a nice bath mm. for sure. But don't do sauna. Don't do sauna? Because the temperature is too hot for, for his balls. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like um, hot So it's too. the yin yang. It's like yeah. women go do sauna, men go jump in the ice pool. So wait, so Alex shouldn't be doing infrared sauna ever? Until we're done having kids? Well, I mean, you're currently not trying to get pregnant right, because truly- you are pregnant. <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's just like. <laughs> so it's okay. It's fine now. Okay. You know, your, your body has a mechanism for when it's too cold to, to keep it, because it needs to be at a very specific temperature right. for everything to be good, and that's not the body's temperature. It's slightly below the body's mm-hmm. temperature, which is, you know, why they're, they're at where they're at, opposed to, you know, like ovaries. Um, and so it actually has a self-regulating mechanism where, right, it changes <laughs> based off of temperatures. The problem is with heat, like a, in a hot tub, it can't. It can't do anything to cool down exactly. like it can to warm up. So uh, so you are frying anything that's going on there. And that's like the issue that I have when the blood pools, right? Because um, the varicocele and everything, that's you know why that it's bad. He has like a ball issue. So varicose veins, the, mm-hmm. um, the valves, right? They break. Mm-hmm. So it's very common in men for that to happen in one of those main uh, veins going down to the, the testes. Mm-hmm. And what happens is it, you know, one leads to another, leads to another, and now it pools down there when mm, you're standing up. And then up. you can't get that back. And yeah. the blood doesn't come back up, so it overheats. And Ooh, over time, interesting. Then it's going to impact the sperm quality. Yes. Huh. It, the One of them starts to atrophy or both start to atrophy. Um, so they, they though, suggest. we're still having babies. How many do you want? Three. Oh, do you want three too? He wants as, five. As of right now, um, we'll see how two goes. Excuse you. We want three. We but no, they said about one in five guys by age 20 or so have 
have a varicose. My dad has it too. So yeah, I guess it's like a thing. Yeah, I don't really do men's health like that. So learn something. <laughs> you're not, new you're every not touching day. balls. I'm not touching balls. In my practice. <laughs> there there are there are acupuncture points down there, but um, oh my gosh, it's not stop. something I do. Yeah, no. Do people do acupuncture on people's balls? I mean, you know, so in my clinical internship in school, we had this man who was working like a blue collar type job, and he fell on a pipe, like, and landed, like, right there, like, mm-hmm. right in his, like, peritoneum area. Oh, gosh. Um, and it damaged nerves. And so because of that, he couldn't get erections anymore. And it was awful. Oh. And so in school, we did do acupuncture there. And it was, like, very clinical. It wasn't, like, sexual. It was very clinical. I mean, he had nerve damage that we had to help restore. So he didn't even feel the needles in there because Mm-mm. he had no wow. nerve. So yeah. did it work? Do you remember? Um. So in school, it's not like you see the same person every week. Yeah. Okay. You know? So like I didn't follow up. I probably saw him twice. I didn't okay. follow up on that case. Curious. Um, but I don't even know if he followed through a treatment. Like you have to go for nerve damage. You have to go so, so many Aww. times. So hopefully it worked. Hopefully it yeah. helped. Hopefully he's getting erections and living <laughs> a happy life. I mean, that's a big part of your mental yes. health. Yes. So, yeah. Oh, my god. But, no, I don't do that in private practice. Okay, yeah, Trevor would be like, you're quitting your job. Yeah, I, re- <laughs> I will refer out to uh, urology. <laughs> Have you ever had, like, an uncomfortable situation with, like, someone that came I in? I think that there's always, um, like, with men in private practice, there's always that concern. Yeah. So I try really hard to kind of vet my patients at this point and make sure that, we keep it nice and clean. Yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, that's always a concern. I don't I hate that. That's why I just decided to do all women. Like, I only yeah, train women. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier, I'll tell you that. It's also out of my house, so I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Just, I think you were also, you had, like, creepy guys. That I had just, weirdos, yeah. It was know? always the weirdos. Oh, I'm sure. Well, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of them. I also just, like, did a little revamp of my website. It was very outdated, and I was like, I did choose kind of a hot picture to put on the, like, front you of the website. You gotta be careful. Yeah, yeah I mean... Like, yeah, I, I need to look more wholesome, you know? Less, like, hot and young, you know? I get that. <laughs> so I do. I, I, I updated it. So don't I mean, you can it. have both. You can be hot and... I know. I just... I was saying I was wholesome. treating men and hot women. And, hot and, and Girl next door. <laughs> I, yeah. I just felt like I looked... You know, it was a little too a little too uh, spicy. Yeah, I don't know. I was I was overanalyzing it, but I was like, that's probably why I got all these weirdos in my email. Yeah, so, it could be a factor. You know. Okay, so I want to ask quickly, what's your favorite brand of supplements? Ooh, so I'm gonna say Seeking Health is my go-to. Okay, I am like such a fangirl of Dr. Ben Lynch. If okay, you're listening, Dr. Ben Lynch. No, I'm kidding. Uh, he's not listening, but... Um, we'll tag him when we play. Yeah, right? So I adore him. He's um, a brilliant doctor. He created his own supplement line uh, called Seeking Health, and their training is phenomenal. So if you're a physician and you want to sell their supplements, they have, like, incredible training modules. I think that's really important because otherwise you're just kind of slinging supplements without a lot of knowledge or information. Mm. You can't learn everything in school. Yet again, a lot of this learning happens out of school. School basically, I'm going down a rabbit hole, but I feel like I have to say this. I love it. School basically teaches you how not to kill people. That's what school is in medicine. It's like, how do you keep people alive and how can you maybe help someone and how can you identify a red flag? Mm. But like where the healing happens, that is the art that you learn professionally in practice over years through 
colleagues, through case study, through CEs. Mm -hmm. So when people graduate school and they're like, oh, I know so much. I could start my practice. I could see everyone. It's like, honey, you don't know a thing. (laughs) Just wait. It's a reality that hits you. Um, I would say three years out of practice, you start to realize, oh, wow, I didn't really know anything. Yeah. Um, And then you accumulate from there. But anyway, so yeah, you don't really know about supplements out of practice. Like all this stuff you really have to learn. So Seeking Health does a great job in training and teaching the people that sell their products. Awesome. they have incredible customer service if you have issues with their products. I just, I love that company. You're not going to find better quality than Second okay. Health. So and they have like everything. Plug. They've got everything. They've okay. got prenatals. They've got uh, gene support. So if you have an MTHFR gene mutation, they've got, you can literally go and click on gene support, click on MTHFR, and then okay. it'll tell you all the supplements that would be good for that gene mutation. Awesome. So you don't have to like try to do the research yourself. Like, oh, yeah. what am I supposed to take? What am I supposed to avoid? You click the button. Um, they just have all the supplements. All I love right. them. I need yeah. to do that. Okay. Um, do you even know what MTHFR is, Alex? No. You, I wonder if you you said you have, I have it. it. Yeah. I wonder if this one has it with the you ADHD. Oh, interesting. Maybe. I don't know. We can we'll find get, out. We can get the um, kiddos tested. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's Cheek swab and then figure out. Cheek swab. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So can you? I don't know if this is something you want to answer, but like, is there like just a short list of supplements that anyone that's generally like healthy might want to make sure they're taking? So I would say. I'm going to change your question a little okay. bit. Change. I would say the best way to take supplements is to pulse them, which means I'll do this for a couple of days and then I'll take a break. I'll do this maybe for a couple of weeks and then I'll take a break. Oftentimes I see people come in, they're like, oh, I take like six supplements a day. I've been taking them for like five years. And I'm like, mm. supplements are supplemental to your diet and lifestyle. So you should not be on like supplements forever and ever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. So for example, if for whatever reason I had to take a pain medication for endo or like if I had alcohol or if I was on an airplane, therefore exposed to toxins, I would take heavy-duty antioxidant support. I would take glutathione. I would take NAC. I'd take PQQ. I'd take alpha-lipoic acid, a combination of one or two of those, some vitamin C, maybe some liver nutrients from Seeking Health. Um, <laughs> if I you know, had a, a really bad meal, I would take digestive enzymes beforehand, some beta HCL, um, maybe some probiotics, maybe some L-glutamine. Um, gen, like the things generally that I think are good are, um, some fish oils, omegas, DHA, things like that. Um, vitamin B, like things you burn through stress, you burn through certain vitamins and minerals when you're stressed out. Most people are stressed out. So like magnesiums, vitamin C's and vitamin B's are like standard. Okay. And um, then some, some drugs or prescription drugs or, deplete them. you know, stimulants yes. or like caffeine, I'm sure mm-hmm. causes depletion. Absolutely. Much so if you have a prescription you need to look online or call your pharmacist. Um, but there's a chart online. I'll see if I could send it to you. You might be able to link it into this Ooh, podcast. Yeah. Um, but it basically says like, if I'm on this drug, this is what it depletes. This way you oh. just look it up and be like, oh, I'm on, you know, cholesterol meds. Therefore it's going to deplete XYZ. I'm on birth control. Therefore I need to be on XYZ. Interesting. Um, and that would be important. But generally okay. speaking, we have like a massive supplement closet at my house we have more supplements in our pantry than we have food <laughs> and I just walk in every day and I'm like what feels right today and I'll take two or three okay that's interesting yeah okay that sounds more affordable too mm-hmm. no, I mean yeah. not not the initial 
getting yeah, all the right. supplements. <laughs> Slowly you acquire. Yes, yeah. you do. Okay, interesting. Um, okay, and then I already know your answer, but no one else does. So what's your favorite clean, like, skincare beauty product brand? <laughs> so I, I'm i a beauty counter girl. I've been using beauty counter for probably six years, like almost the entire time that they've been in business. Mm-hmm. So what you put on your skin goes in your body. Um, I am a huge advocate in making sure your products are clean. So I'm talking about laundry detergent, skincare, hair care, makeup, dish soap, hand soap, cleaning products. All of this matters. And when people say like, oh my gosh, well, everything causes cancer. So like whatever, they're not reading the labs I'm reading. You can literally see when someone is using too many products because one of their pathways will be inflamed. So you have to just, this is the sign of the times. Unfortunately, these industries do not care about your health and they're doing a lot of greenwashing. I saw something in your bathroom that's doing greenwashing. Probably right the now. Myers. Mm-hmm. Myers, I so know. So Mrs. Myers is like a major greenwashing company, so which basically means I'm pretending to be really clean this way yes. consumers will buy it. Um, and so you have to be really careful and be diligent about what's in your home. Do you um, use EWG to find? I use the stuff? EWG to verify. So Beauty Counter is an EWG brand, verified brand, okay. meaning that there's a scale like one to one to ten or one to five uh five one maybe one to five Mm, i don't remember i think it's one to ten okay basically a three and under is green it means this is safe you can use this every day you can use it if you're pregnant you can use it if you're sick you can use it every day it's not contribute anything negative to your health Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it's um chemical free some chemicals are tested safe um, because don't forget, like many things are chemicals. Mm-hmm. Many things from the environment are chemically, they, they are considered chemicals. That's like people's argument though. When you're talking about like the clean stuff, they're like, well, everything's a it's chemical. It's still a chemical. Yeah. Yeah. So like not all chemicals are dangerous. Right. It's just, you know, that's why we have great research institutions like the EWG that pull that information. So yeah. I use Beauty Counter because I know I don't have to spend tons of time researching. And in fact, a couple months ago, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to switch over to Mad Hippie because Mad Hippie is super cheap. Mm-hmm. And I was like, beauty counter is kind of expensive. Yeah. So I switched over and I was like, I'm going to give it like two months. And I had, my skin went ballistic. Like really? my skin was so awful. I had to pay and get a facial because my skin, I turned into like a lizard. It was oh so dry God. and flaky and horrible and it was hurting. <laughs> and I ended up returning all my Mad Hippie stuff. I went back to beauty counter. I'm like, this is just where we're at now. Yeah. Like it just- works for me. I love it. It's clean. Yeah. That's- what I do. I know people that swear by it. So it's I, because it's so good. Yeah. Like it I works so well. It. But whether you use Beauty Counter or Mad Hippie or um, 100% Pure, like look them up on the EWG, make sure it's safe. I don't care what you use, just make sure it's clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good. I feel like we're in this weird middle, middle gray area for products mm-hmm. and how, like, you know, how much they're actually thinking about the end consumer. Like, right in the last century we kind of exploded we were able to get all these great things that were convenient and cheap and now every household could have um all these products and and foods and things that were like affordable and you could get in bulk and it was great however we didn't look down the line of like okay what what is actually in this that could be Mm. negative to our health yeah now we've kind of got like a split thing where a lot of brands are thinking about that but a lot still aren't. And profits are driving most of this still. For sure. And I think in the foreseeable future, that that's how it'll be. Yeah, I think profit, this is like my very sad view of everything, but I think profit always, always plays like the number one role in decision-making. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why there's so many greenwashing companies out there because mm-hmm. they know there's a movement for green and they're like trying to sway these consumers to purchase their stuff, even though they're not green. Yep. But I think that, there's money in sickness. 
and you can't convince oh, yeah. me otherwise. So yep. there's money to keep you sick. There's, you know, money in making sure the products that we use, like it's too coincidental. Like I'm going to go down this rabbit hole right now, but it's too <laughs> coincidental that like the people that are funding, like some of these chemicals right. are also the people that are funding the pharmaceuticals to heal you from the ailment that you would get yeah. from use of those. Like it's way <sighs> too The pharmaceuticals close, that won't you heal know? you, but we'll put a bandaid on the symptom. We'll, we'll keep you as a customer forever. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was it? Was it Bear that just that recently bought um, oh Monsanto? And so didn't that happen like three or four years ago? Was it Bear that? That sounds right. Uh, I think I it, was it was Bear uh, Monsanto. But, uh, no, I think it was Bear that it bought was, It was a German company, wasn't it? But Monsanto. We're going to have to look Fact this up. Fact check it. Yeah. Let me see. But that is, that is definitely the sort of thing that pisses me because off. Because I remember thinking like, well, isn't this convenient? Bear Closer's Monsanto acquisition. <laughs> Successfully completed the acquisition of Monsanto back in 2018. So it's like, well, <laughs> we know scientifically that Roundup, which Monsanto makes, causes cancer. And now we have Bear, a pharmaceutical industry, buying Monsanto, mm-hmm. which Love makes that. Roundup. Like, so when people are like, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Oh, everything makes you sick. <laughs> it's like, you have to be. Because if you were not the one paying attention for your health and like really being diligent, then you're going to fall into this trap of using these crap products mm-hmm. and eating these foods contaminated with this stuff and mm-hmm. then getting sick. And then it's this vicious cycle. It is. But what, what's funny is like Roundup and glyphosate was introduced as a solution to not spraying crops with Agent Orange. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, that's bad. Okay, we admit it. Yeah. But we've got this new thing. And but now that we know that it's bad, it's like the ball is too far gone yeah. to now right. pull it back. right. Yeah. Yeah, so we we solve Agent Orange with Roundup. Roundup's better until it's not. Then Roundup, what are we what are we solving it with? Right. Currently, I don't think that's an equation. Yeah, it's just Roundup. it's just is Roundup, and so we have genetically modified crops to withstand. And now we have super weeds, and yeah. we have. I mean, this can all just go back to regenerative farming, and we can call it a day. But mm-hmm. like profit, profit, yeah, back to profit. Always, it's so depressing. That's but that's why, like, I can't. I can't get like when someone starts to call me a conspiracy theorist, I like I can't even talk. I can't even I can't just, even Yeah, I'm like if I'm a conspiracy this. theorist, you have not like read just researched, yeah. looked at yeah. an NCBI published study. Yeah. But so that was kind of when I was in school thinking if I wanted to be like an R D or whatever, I was like, I just can't I can't do this. I can't yeah. I can't have the government funded like, like be indoctrinated yeah. and then have to break through that indoctrination. Because I was reading like the nutrition book and I was just appalled and like no no wrong no no I know (laughs) I would never tell someone that it's wild so okay well speaking of that I really wanted to ask you about fat loss and like your opinion on it do you think it's like a calories in versus calories out thing do you like something that I always tell my clients is I'm like well first of all I say like me as your trainer I'm I am not the one that's going to get you the results right you are, and mm-hmm. it's, of course, about your dedication, but more fitness is this small little component, right? Your diet matters, but also your lifestyle and your health, like your overall health. Like there's so many other things. Oh, for it's sure. not even just fitness and nutrition. Like there yeah. can be, I believe that it's a very like holistic approach that's going to get you your results. So do you think that calories in versus calories out is enough for someone to lose fat? Or do you think there could be more complex situations? So there's absolutely other factors for some people. Yeah. Um, gut health is huge. So if you have candida overgrowth, you're not losing the weight. Mm. You're just not. 
Um, and oftentimes people will be like, oh, well, I don't have, I've never had a vaginal yeast infection. That does not mean you don't have candida overgrowth that can occur in the gut. Aren't, little side note, aren't things like sugar cravings signs of candida? It could be. Um, oh, no. It could be signs of parasites, which is a whole other topic that's like a trendy buzz topic yeah. on Instagram, but, um, or dysbiotic bacteria as well. Okay. So pathogen in general can make you crave sugar. Okay. Um, but yeah, so oftentimes there is gut dysbiosis going on. Oftentimes there's trauma. And if you have trauma, you are not letting go of that fat because mm. fat is a protective layer. So your body is literally protecting you. Wow. Um, it's a mechanism. Also, and don't forget, you know, fat soluble um, toxin or toxins are fat soluble. So they are stored in fat, mm. which means that if you are super, super toxic and you have trauma and you have GI stuff, your body may not be able to release that toxin, which means it can't lose the weight because if it does release the, if you do release, oh my goodness, you're going to you're gonna have to cut this guy back. If you do lose the weight, then you're going to have to release the toxins. And if your body's not capable of handling those toxins, that toxin burden, you're not going to be able to let it go. Interesting. So, you know, it's not always, for some people, it's like calorie in, calorie out, and I work yeah, out and I and feel great. Simple. And those people probably are not super... Um, sick. They're mm-hmm. probably not having gut dysbiosis. They probably don't have underlying trauma. Um, but if you have any of those factors, that those are the people that you're going to hear, no matter what I do, yep. I can't lose weight. And then they'll end up with a bad trainer and they'll be like, well, you're just not training hard enough. Mm-hmm. Or you may be sneaking meals and not telling mm-hmm. me, no, it's trauma. No, it's toxins. Mm-hmm. No, it's gut dysbiosis. Yep. XYZ. And those are usually the clients where if this is something like that's been happening, we've worked together on nutrition, we work together. Mm-hmm. They're really, they're really consistent. They're like, I'll talk to Alex about it. I'll be like, you know, she is the most consistent, like type A yeah. person. She, I promise you, she is not lying to me. She is telling me everything and nothing is changing. And that's when I usually send her your number, you know, because it's just <laughs> like, like, go do some functional yeah. apps with Julian. She'll no, figure it I'm out. Like, I'm like, you need to go see her. Like, you know, I'm like, at this point, there is something else, yeah. you know, and usually as deep as I'll go, is just like, like, how's your stress? You know, like, do you, mm-hmm. I don't usually ask about trauma. I'm just like, how's your stress? Like, have you gotten labs done recently for hormones? But we know that the little regular lab, uh, have you done a work. Dutch test? Yeah. <laughs> so I start to bring up Dutch test and everyone's always like, oh my gosh, what's that? I'm like, I've never done it, but it's like this awesome, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's your analysis, right? Yeah. But it looks at hormone metabolites. So we get a bigger picture of what's going on with your hormones mm-hmm. and how they're being metabolized out of the body and mm-hmm. what pathways they're being metabolized through, which is when I said I could see an inflamed pathway when people use all that crap in the house, Ooh, all those toxic products, because their estrogen is being pulled out through a dangerous pathway that can lead to genetic changes and potentials for cancer. Huh. So we see that through a Dutch test. Yeah, I tell everyone about, I'm always in like the Instagram or the Facebook mom groups, like try a Dutch test. Yeah. And, and then I'm always adding balanced healing. I know, you know, I don't know who else in this town does Dutch. Um, I don't know hopefully either. there are other, actually, I know, um, what is her name? Dr. Leesberg with Randolph's Ageless and Wellness. Oh. She's, I think, an MD or. Uh, yeah, they're right yeah. down the road. Um, she knows how to read Dutch. I don't know if it's a specialty of hers. I don't know how often she does it, mm-hmm. but I do know that she can. She's once looked at my Dutch. Oh, interesting. Um, so, so, yeah. so basically if there's someone here listening, that's like, I've tried everything, nothing's working. I'm being consistent. You would say you need to start looking into other things like I would Dutch say, tests. well, this is where it gets tricky. You need to find a provider who could do an in-depth consult with you to determine yeah. how to narrow it down. Because like, mm-hmm. if we have endless money, then we could say, we're going to hit you with everything. We're going to do a Dutch mm-hmm. test, a comprehensive stool analysis. Then we're going to look at trauma and then we're going to look at toxin load. Um, but if we don't have endless money, it's like, well, 
let's do a comprehensive analysis, like a 90 minute consult to really determine what is the most likely scenario Mm. and then choose that lab. And if that lab doesn't pan out, then we can go to the next one. But like, we're not going to just spend $1,500 in a day, you know? But I mean, hey, if you got it, do it. I know, right? Do you guys talk about sleep? Um, like in practice and medicine. Oh yeah. There's so in traditional Chinese medicine, when we do our intake, there's a series of 10 questions that are standard and each it's like 10 conversations that we have. And one whole conversation is on sleep. Do you see people that like, don't just don't get much sleep? Do you see a lot of people like that? I see a lot of people that don't sleep well. So they wake up throughout the night and when they wake up in the morning, they don't feel refreshed. Mm. Um, I don't really see people that are like, oh yeah, I only get like four or five hours of sleep. It's more like I'm sleeping eight or nine hours and I'm exhausted and I'm never feeling refreshed and I'm my sleep is not deep. I see a lot of that. Okay. Makes sense. But do you believe that like having enough sleep is like a huge part of healing or no? Well, it's the fundamentals. Okay. So you can't heal if you're not sleeping. So mm-hmm. the people that are like, yeah, I only like run off four hours, like you're going to burn yourself out mm-hmm. at one point or another. It will catch up to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Why? Who's not sleeping in this room? Oh, well. no. <laughs> Some nights I do sleep a good amount. I just I have this thing about sleep hygiene, and it's I'm like, like we need to not be on Why our phones right before hard? bed. Well, I wake up at four thirty, and you know by the time Scarlett's down, it's eight o'clock, and um, and then you know we might spend like an hour together, and then it's nine o'clock, and then. But like um, you know, there's the nights that he's just up really, really late, like gaming or. Doing that's whatever. very rare. Very so, rare. So you but, know, I just have an issue with it because he doesn't sleep enough. Yeah, it, it's and it's problem. not it's not so much of a problem just one off, but when that is my daily routine every single every day, day yeah. it does start to wear wear me down a little bit. And I remember when when I was like, you know, early twenties, late teens, my body didn't let me do that. Like it oh, yeah. made me sleep. Right. I would sleep all the so, time. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see an adrenal panel on you. Like, <laughs> are you running on fumes right now? Like, because some people are like, oh, yeah, I just keep going and going yeah. and going. And then I look at their adrenal panel. I'm like, that's interesting. You're literally running on fumes. But wow. it's like the adrenaline that keeps you going because you know you can't stop because you've got things to do. Mm-hmm. And at some point, those people crash mm-hmm. because you can't keep up with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it'd be very interesting. You might have a really healthy cortisol pattern and you might be doing great, yeah. but you might not. Probably on fumes of some sort. But, <laughs> but he, he's definitely always been the person that's like, I can just sleep less. Like, I don't have to have as much sleep, mm-hmm. right? Like, you, you say that often. In isolated situations. Well, but when it's every when it's single longer. day. Yeah. Like, even through weekends, I wake up at crazy hours. Yeah. Mm, it sounds awful. It's yeah. rough. Um, so I think that was my main, like, questions I want to hit you with for health. Um, okay, one last one quickly, and then I promise we have one more question after that, and then we're done. Um, I I just have so many questions. Okay, so mold is one of your big passions, right? Mm -hmm. Mold toxicity. Is it called mycotoxins? Mold or mycotoxins. So, like, you could think of mycotoxins Mm -hmm. as, like, a mold fart, basically. A mold fart. Yeah. Mm. So it's, like, releasing Have you been watching The Last of Us? No, what is that? (laughs) It's Uh. about... Well, uh, it's about a fungus. A fungus that, that takes oh, over. Oh, Trevor told me about this. Interesting. It's HBO. It's a good show, but um, yeah, the fungus like infects humans basically, and then it spreads throughout the whole world. It sounds like your worst nightmare. This it's is already happening. Ends. There's mold everywhere. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah. Which, like, people tell or not people, the internet tells me that there's mycotoxins in um, peanut butter. Is that true? So some foods are going to be inherently more moldy. So coffee, peanut butter, dried fruit. But like if your detox pathways are good, clean, open, you can handle some of that in small amounts, right? 
But the problem is when you are living in an environment with molds, that is the problem because you, you are living in that and then you're breathing that in and then it's now becoming like it basically infects you kind of like your lungs are mold so you become the mold source so then if you move and you're like oh i'm still having xyz symptoms it's like well it doesn't really matter where you go you are the mold source now so we gotta get it out of you we gotta kill it out of you so when we rip the bathroom apart yeah you don't julian's gonna leave our house texting (laughs) through that whole process yeah in in our master bathroom when i just needed to fix a tile one Mm. little subway tile Mm -hmm. and uh i pulled it up and up another one. I'm like, oh man, this is all like kind of like loose and water damaged. So rip that back, rip back the whole thing. Cause now we're like, okay, oh this thing, this whole thing needs to come down. And we look behind the like where you turn the shower on and off. Mm-hmm. There must have been a, a like a leak. A leak at the the handle in the wall. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like slow drip. Slow drip for, yeah. Who knows? Maybe 20 years when this house was built. And uh and as I pulled all that back, it was mold and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to get rid of it. So I start moving it out. I'm not thinking much of it. I call my dad. I'm like, hey, dad, you know, this mold, should I, should I be like concerned here? Should I be wearing something? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. And then after that, I'm like, air is like a little spicy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I bet. Meanwhile, I'm texting Julian. She's like, get out of the house. Get. (laughs) Yeah. Put air purifiers on. (laughs) It's a little spicy. Um, Yeah, like my arms started getting itchy from where I was rubbing against it and stuff. And so then I was like, okay, this is probably something I should get a mask and I should do this whole thing. But um, (laughs) so with something like that, you would say remediation is like 100%. Yeah. So basically, I like to describe mold as a pollen bomb. So if you disturb it, that pollen bomb will explode and spores will go everywhere. And once that happens, like you can't contain it. So typically in mold remediation, they do like a double wall. It's almost like a hazmat environment at a hospital. Like if, if you've seen someone in like quarantine, mm-hmm. it's a double wall like zipper mm-hmm. to get into the area of remediation. And they're in full on like protective gear. Oh my God. And they're double bagging this stuff before they even take it out of the double walled like door <laughs> um, because mold is that dangerous. And unfortunately... There has been this false, you know, education around mold that, oh, it's fine. Put a little bleach yeah, on it. Bleach. Oh, just rip it out. It's fine. It's not fine. And what we see with mold illness is it doesn't impact everyone in the family. So there might be one person in the family that's symptomatic and it manifests differently in everyone. So it might be in kids, processing disorders, uh, inability to regulate emotions. It might be frequent colds, asthma, like um, their skin peeling off for adults and maybe might be brain fog, lethargy, depression, anxiety, hives, food intolerances. Wow. I mean, you name it. So like when people come to me with all these bizarro symptoms, and I'm like, hmm, mold <laughs> test? Because it's very prevalent in South Florida. In, where are we, Jacksonville? <laughs> We're well, not in South Florida. <laughs> it's very yeah. prevalent in Florida. In Florida, yeah. yes. So after doing the deep dive on that whole thing, right? Oh, did like you? that hindsight. Um, <laughs> we, we got all these cool air purifiers. We were running these things all the time. And I like to think our air quality is good. But, Probably not, but um, it's fine. We just have to get the whole house It's funny. We have one of those ones that like auto kicks on when it, yeah. when it recognizes like bad air. Yeah. And it's near the bathroom and you always know when somebody uh, went to the bathroom. Oh, yeah, because it's like going on. It kicks on. on. It, goes it turns red. I know. Turns red. We've got that too. It's like no, there's no secrets in this house. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And then I feel like the smell goes away right away. It's yeah. Hilarious. It's like yeah, my dad just painted time. and we put the thing on and it was like in two seconds the paint smell was gone. What do you guys have an air doctor? I wish. I no. 
It was not an air doctor. I would like to get an air doctor. It was expensive. I mean, it was like best, right? a few mm-hmm. hundred bucks. Yeah, it wasn't an air doctor, but uh, I would like them in every For room. next Black Friday. Air yeah. Doctor, they, run, they always run great sales. So, but so with, if someone definitely knows they have mold somewhere in the house, you would say the next step is to contact someone. So they need to find an inspector. A good So not all inspectors are made equal. Not all remediation are made equal. Right. So um, there's just a lot of misinformation in the field. You would think if that's your job, like you would really know about it, but that's not the case. Yeah. So I've vetted literally like dozens and there's only two inspectors that I would refer out to at this point in the Jacksonville area. And I can always give you that info to like hook up to this podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, so an inspector is going to find, because if you found a little bit there, it's probably elsewhere. It's probably mm-hmm. not just there. Um, and so they would want to make sure that we found all of it. And then you would find, you would then hire a remediator. So if your inspector is your remediator, that's a conflict of interest. They have to be two separate companies. Okay. So then you right, hire. Because you would yeah. just say you well, found it everywhere. Yeah. Because I've, I've had people tell me when I was telling them about this, they were like, oh, they're going to scam you. That's all they do is they just scam. They no, want to get your money. No, they're separate companies. I don't even know if they're legally supposed to do both. Okay. Um, because I know my inspector who I adore, he's like, no, 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 we can't. Like, we're not, we cannot. So I that don't know if it's like a lot better. We can't. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, then you remediate it and that can be, you know, a quick thing or, or not, depending yeah. on how extensive the mold is. And then once the mold is gone in the environment, you guys need to get it out of your body because it's there in your body. So you most definitely have, I'm sure because you were all living here, yeah. you probably all need to be on a mold detox protocol. Yeah. Can you do that though when you're pregnant? No. Yeah. Can't detox anything when you're no, pregnant. No, because everything goes to baby. <sighs> baby's getting mold. Yeah, well, we'll detox baby when baby's out. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to come out. Everyone like, gets glutathione. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I definitely want to touch on that because I know that's like a huge thing for you, right? Yeah. Mold is um, my, like, mold and GI are my two biggest passions. It's what GI. I see the most of in my practice. Okay, that's awesome. And do you find like, well, I guess no, you wouldn't find this because... I was going to say, do you find, like, if you guys do everything and nothing's working, but you haven't attacked the mold yet, then it's... So you can't treat anything else if you have mold. Okay. That's what so I was thinking. Okay. if you have mold and other things, you have to address the mold first okay. because mold's a massive immune suppressor. So, for example, if you have autoimmune mm-hmm. and you also have mold, there is no way in hell that autoimmune is getting better. It's not going to happen. Gotcha. Because... Mold is an, is an immune suppressor. It's the master manipulator of the body. Man. So wherever mold is in the body, you'll get symptoms within that organ system. If okay. mold's in the gut, if mold's in the brain, if it's wherever it is. So you ask a lot of people, or do you suggest to most of your patients, like, we need to do mold, like, most? Not necessarily. Okay. It just depends on what comes up in their intake. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, Alex. Go start detoxing. Well, I think that's definitely something to consider if you're looking to buy a house, especially in Florida. Oh, 100%. That's why now I, now I want to build. When was this house built? Build. Right? If yeah. it's so, old. ironically, the older houses are better quality what? than the newer houses. Interesting. So the houses that pop up in nine months, ten months, they're built with newer building materials mm-hmm. that are uh, very, very, very mold prone. Um, and they're built like shit. So there's that yeah. too. Yeah. Um, like if I had all the money in the world, I would buy a house built in the seventies. I would knock it down to the studs and I would do it the way that I wanted it done. Like to make it look the way I want it okay. to look. Um, because my biggest fear is with my new constructions that we're going to end up with molds. And we spent astronomical amounts of money doing all the things that we could do to safeguard it. And I still don't, I still don't have a good feeling about yeah. this. Um, and okay. it's something Trevor and I talk about all the time. So new build isn't necessarily Absolutely the best not. Option. I have patients in my practice that are in a new build one year old and their house is riddled with mold and they're super wow. sick. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. How did they find that? 
So sometimes they see it and sometimes they come in and we do a mold test and then we send an inspector over there and then they find it. Oh my gosh. Okay. But mold is not always visible or um, have a smell. (laughs) That's so interesting. What did you say, Alex? Nothing. His ADD just kicked in. He's he's been we holding on. We never see them. What, what do you see? We've lived here for like three What are you years. talking about? Our neighbors. Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> so my last most important question besides my final wrapping up question, which is not actually serious, is about your bill. Not your bill. Yes, the bill. The bill. Proposed so, to Senate? Yeah. So there was a bill proposed to House and Senate. Let me pull up my little talking points on this. <laughs> um. So it's House Bill. Oh, I just lost it. Bear with me. So basically, essentially, there's a bill that was introduced. It was House Bill 583 and Senate Bill 230. And this bill was designed to make it so medical fraud and um, what is the word I'm trying like uh, Malpractice? Not malpractice, but they want to make sure that people are not being scammed, right? That the okay. general public is not going to go to someone for medicine that doesn't really practice medicine or they're trying to take away like the there's a word for it. Let me see if I could find it. You guys might have to like flip this, but uh <laughs> my brain can't think of another word. Um So, okay, so the bill was designed to protect the public against fraud and deceptive. That was the word I was thinking of, deceptive, deceptive. practices. Um however, this bill just by design will drastically impact my field. Mm-hmm. So, we're kind of in unintended consequence of this bill where my title acupuncture physician will be taken Mm. if this bill passes it will just we'll no longer be allowed to call ourselves that because the word physician will be strictly modulated to make sure that only mds or do's or whoever can use that however for the past 20 years that's my title i have a medical license um i'm regulated by the florida department or the florida state department and we have medical boards that we have to pass and we have you know, extensive training. But if this bill passes without an amendment, we will lose our title. So it's really important that we message our state representatives or house representatives and our senators and basically just say, hey, about this bill, can you just make sure to put an amendment for acupuncturists in there? Um, Because this bill is not targeted towards us. We're just an unintended consequence Mm. of the bill. And I imagine that would be extremely upsetting if you got your title stripped after all that hard work. It would be so insulting. Um, And it's like we're already a field that's not taken seriously. So if you take away your title, it makes it even harder to be taken seriously, especially with other medical colleagues to collaborate with and do partnerships with it's just one more kind of slap in you know in the face for us so so how do people so um if you go to my instagram healing of jacks and click on my bio link the very first like tab just says um the bill name concern for this bill you click it and there is like a template an email template and you just copy and paste that and you send it to like the five people I ask you to send it to you can also send your own thing but it literally just states that we've never once as an industry had any kind of issue with deception or with misleading the public um and this would be an unintended you know consequence for our field Mm. and that we need an amendment for it so if everyone could please do it, because if we don't, by July 1st, I will lose my medical title. July 1st? Really soon, um, which is really, really hard. But yeah, so we're hoping. We're hoping. So we need to have 800 points of contact a week, meaning 800 emails or phone calls a, a week? week until July to make a difference. But like I said, we're not randos that are like 
just out here winging it. Like we have licensing boards, we're regulated, we have continued CE. In having the government define what medical misinformation is or is not, I think starts to get sketchy. And that's what we saw during COVID. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of people started to kind of question, wake up a little bit was mm-hmm. just like, well, who are you to tell me otherwise? Right. Or, um, yeah. So it gets dangerous when it starts with losing your title and then it loses and then it goes to losing your scope of practice. Mm-hmm. So like right now, like, um, FASOMA, which is like our advocate advocation board is like, don't freak out. We're not losing our scope of practice, but this is a big deal. But it's like, it starts with this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Once you're no longer a physician, cause that gets stripped from you and you're just a measly little acupuncturist and don't forget acupuncturists, like to the general public, that's just inserting needles in people. Right. Mm-hmm. I do. That's 10% of my practice. I do right. so much more than that. Once you like make it so it's so measly and small, then from there, it's like you have public mistrust. You don't have the same respect from your colleagues. And then our fear would be that, or my fear would be that, I can't speak on behalf behalf (laughs) of my profession, but my fear would be that then scope of practice gets questioned. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope you guys can all help Julian out and all the acupuncture physicians out because that is awful. I can't imagine. And I already did it. So Alex, you have to do it now. Thank you. Thank you. You don't have to call anyone. You just email him. Can I call Ralph? You could call you someone. You can call him. Call him and say, we need an amendment for acupuncturists. Yeah, call Ralph. Because this, uh, we know this wasn't targeted at them, but they're getting swooped up in the net and it's not fair. Yeah. yeah. Not fair. I'm yeah. just too scared to call anyone, so. <laughs> I am my, I get I'm it. a keyboard warrior. Fellow uh, in- introverts unite, <laughs> so I get it. Okay, so our little child's waking up from her nap, so we're going to call, like, cut this off, but um, I have one final question for you, and okay. it's very important. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Because we're on the Silva Scoop podcast. So my favorite ice cream. Do you this eat is, ice this cream? is like a long answer. I love long so answers. like just a regular ice cream. Like if I'm going to the store and getting a carton, I yep. only eat Rocky Road. Like mm. if it's like not Rocky Road, I just I won't Rocky eat it. Road. Yeah. Um cool. but if it's like the soft serve, like swirl mm-hmm. i'm all about that and there is this place at the beach called happy cup and then they changed their name to homespun like home they used to have a guava soft serve oh and it was like my favorite thing in the world do they not have ice cream anymore or froyo i don't whatever it really was. go there because it's so far it from me far, yeah i don't know but like that was my jam like yeah. i would drive like 30 minutes for that i'd call <laughs> them and be like do you have guava in right now and then i would go drive down there <laughs> so you like a fruity situation then i like i'm a sour tart person mm-hmm. like me too yeah alex is i the same. love that like if trevor's gonna surprise me with like a candy or something it's like sour patch kids uh, or like i love the sour stuff mm-hmm. yeah alex loves all the fruity stuff i was never big on the chocolates i was never mm-hmm. big on the yeah, we're, like, not compatible. And when, when we go to, like, May Day for ice cream, I get the peanut butter, like, it's called Parent Trap. It's, like, peanut butter oh, and cute. Oreos. Yeah. Um, and then Alex gets, first of all, I get, like, not a, not the large, but not the small. I get, like, a You're good like, hefty I'm going portion. With the I get the hefty portion, and then Alex gets, like, a sample or, like, the kids. A spoon. Kids, Can I just get a spoonful? And it's, like, strawberry. And I'm, like, we are not the same. That, I would do that. I'm with you on that. I just, <laughs> no. Yeah, I love the tart things. Yeah, raspberry. La- last night I go, Alex, I really need ice cream. Will you go get it for me? And he did. I was not expecting that. And I decided. Was it, like, a kid's small that he came back with? I had to 
specify. I knew he was going to come back with a small one. So I was like, I think I want Cold Stone, which I haven't had since like. I didn't even know we had Cold Stone. Exactly. Here. Exactly. So the last time I got it was when the I was pregnant was with Scarlett. last night. He goes, Cold Stone. Yeah, on a Saturday night. It's happening. There yeah. was a line out the door. It was like, his first time in a Cold Stone. So that alone should wow. tell you. You know, and then I, I was like, yeah, get me a pint. <laughs> so he got me. Stop. It can have, you know, I can have it for a while. And it's gone. Yeah. Actually, no, it's not. And it's actually, I think it's like half a. It's like half a quart or something. It's like a good. It'll last me a while. I just don't. I'm not crazy about the ice cream that you take home. It gets too hard. and Yeah, in the freezer it does. Yeah. It does. There must be a perfect temperature they keep their freezers at. There. Right? Yes. Scoopable? Yes. Yes. But it's fine. So anyway, Julian, thank you so much for coming You're on welcome. the podcast. Yeah, thank you for awesome. having me. It was for fun. For sitting through two hours of us talking to you. So oh, I, I love it. a long time. But anyway, that's the scoop on Julian. Yeah, Should I say Walsh or Abacastus? Uh, it's an Abacastus situation Abacastus. for work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but on a personal level, on. it's Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> scoop on Julian. And until next time, have a good one.